Hey, what's good, people? It's episode 93. Got this dude over here, Riley Salmon, and the episode starts right now. Episode 93, Jason DeBellius, Option Podcast, Ask and You Shall Receive, because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want, dun, 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 dun. Riley, Salmon, like what's up? That. What's up, man? I like that little Jalen Rose right there, huh? Yes. That's really good stuff right there. Ooh, uh, feel- man, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, I feel like they stole my song. <laughs> <laughs> they could have. I'm sure it wasn't the first time it's been used. No, right? Yeah. They, yeah so they can't say it stole theirs, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So check it out. Before we got on the podcast, we were talking about Coach Hunt and just about um, Coach Hunt and like, that's crazy how it all comes down to Pepperdine, right? It's They're, they're more like win or learn. But you, we had a conversation before the podcast started. Um, about dealing with losing. I'm going to I'm gonna give you the floor and you can take it anywhere you want. And let's start with that. It's just, um, well, I'll say a little more. It's basically you, you spend 10, 10 and a half months out of the year. Let's say it's a college season. Let's say it's a national team, off season, this and that, that comes to these moments. And when you lose, um, I guess, how do you compartmentalize it? How do you just, how do you just say, boom, move on? Life goes on. Yeah, man, I think that's a, one of the great things that I was telling you off, offline that, that the best ones do that. They're able to do it. Then what I learned, though, is it hurts them just as much as I, it hurts me. Um, but, you know, this year when we lost, we had a, you know, we had, we had trained for two years for the tournament that we went to, um, NAI Nationals, and we, had, we were playing really good volleyball. And we ran into a Park College team that was just a little bit better than us um, on that day. They had five or six seniors. You know, we're a really young team. We didn't have any seniors. And they played a little bit more experience, right? And then after that match was over, I did not respond well. I was really upset. I was in my feelings. <laughs> and, you know, I called uh, David Hunt, was one of the guys I reached out to first. Yeah. And, you know, he said, hey, that's this is how this business goes. You know, it hurts. He goes, it hurts, but you need to figure out how to move on and learn from it. And I think when he said that, you know, that was the most important word for me that it has been in my entire career, player, coaching, mentor, dad, is learn. You know, am I able to learn from today and be a little bit better tomorrow? If I can do that, then it's worth it, right? You know, but if I can't and I sit in my feelings and I, you know, were you, my, one of my old coaches, Doug Bill, said you had 24 hours to feel sorry for yourself. And then after that, it's onward, you know, and of course, as a player, it's a little bit easier because you can get in the gym and start working out right after. As a coach, you, you know, you when we lose, it's on me. I don't care what anybody says. It is on the coach. Um, yeah, the players have to play and execute, but you have to have a plan B, C, D. And just um, for instance, I, I didn't have that, you know, being a young coach, I had a plan B and a C. Neither one of those were working and I didn't have D and E. Um, yeah. uh- and yeah. <laughs> let me tell you something like you know yeah. you've made it when you're on volley talk <laughs> yeah right yeah. you yeah, can absolutely. win a gold medal you could do all of this right and all of yeah. a sudden everybody cares when you're yeah. when you're lit up <laughs> by those trolls <laughs> on volley talk you made is it. a trip too yeah. man you're just like what the hell but you know everybody's got an opinion mm-hmm. you know and i and i and i really learn from it you know i like i don't i don't follow tons of social media people but the guys that i follow are leaders 
and I listen to stuff that they talk about. David Goggins, I'm sure you know who he is, is one of the guys oh, that I follow. Man, I love Jocko Savage. is the guy that I follow. Willink, yeah. right? Jocko Willink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys are the guys that I, I just started following in the last six or seven months, you know, and I've kind of really actually changed my entire not life, but mornings, I get up early and I'm out in the gym and I'm doing stuff that those guys are, but I can't obviously do what they do, but the mindset is there, right? You Did know, you find and, Jocko on the on the podcast, the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah. That's yeah, where I found him. I saw him on that one. I, I've seen him uh, on the Tim Ferriss show. Um, you know, these, these guys, just like yourself, first of all, I totally forgot. Thank you for your service. I totally forgot. That. I meant to say that the first thing when we came on and any military personnel that are listening, thank you for your service. You guys make it possible to do what we do. Yeah. And um, I had a really cool uh, kind of take this. This is going off topic, but I had a really cool adventure. I want to say it was about eight years ago. I got to go to Vilsec, I believe is how you say that. Vilsec in Germany. Yep. And um, massive base there. And I did a camp for about 100 kids. And I was there, but as I was getting pulled in and I was about to do my first day at camp, um, the director said, hey, by the way, 60 of these kids' parents left yesterday to go to Afghanistan. Jeez. And, and I was like, oh, dude. And, like, it hit me hard. You know, and I came in and I didn't know what to say, so we pulled them all in. And all we did was talk about life experience for the first two hours of camp okay. and how they, how they loved their parents, you know, and what they were doing for our country was fantastic. And, you know, we really embraced that. And the colonel actually coined me. You know, he was there to hear some of the speak. So, you know, I, it really was a cool camp. It was more about kind of getting those guys through the first week with their parents gone. Um, and obviously, I'm sure some of them didn't come back. But uh, I've been really into the past couple of, um, I guess, the last six months listening to a lot of stuff. Uh, what did I listen to? The Cho I, I listened to Chosen. Um, also, War, I believe, is one of the with Sebastian Younger. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I'm a really big fan of military personnel. So I wanted yeah. to say thank you for your service. Oh, and by the way, none of this is off topic. This is the <laughs> this is the option <laughs> podcast. We get to basically say whatever we want. I mean, if we were two people going through the motions in this and that, there's there's other podcasts where people could do that, you know. But but for us, right we keep it real. Um, well, my entire. Um, uh, service was in Darmstadt, Frankfurt, Germany, in Darmstadt, Germany. I played for a military community team, and that's how I got noticed, you know, by a German club team. It's how I wound up, wound up playing there. And you're right, like, these kids, it's just amazing how these kids just, I don't know if they're oblivious to it until someone's gone, but there's no one that rolls with the punches that are just like, all right, we're moving. We're, you know, well, we're going, you know, we're going to Leavenworth. All right, cool. You know, you've been, yeah, we've been right. reassigned. And it's like, man, yeah. how do you just, you just, if you could just pack up and go like that, you're just always on the move. I don't even know if you even have time to compartmentalize what, um, um, that your dad's out there and he might get shot. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's so. pretty wild, man. I, I used mm -hmm. to, you know, there's a lot of terminology out there when you talk about volleyball or sports and go to battle and things like that. And I won't say things like that because mm -hmm. I think it has nothing that is even close to the ramifications of what battle or war does. And I've obviously never been there, um, but I've spent a lot of time with James and a lot of other guys that I know that have been in service. A really good friend of mine was in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, you know, he won't even talk about it. You know, yeah. and it's, it's real. And I think that it, it goes on, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not anti anything, but I love our military personnel. Hell yeah! And I think that what you guys do is freaking unbelievable. Well, and, no, I mean, look, let me interrupt you for a second. Um, as someone who served himself, and my father before me, and my father before me, and my kid sister, um, the first female did two tours in Afghanistan. All right. Oh, killer! That's awesome. We we don't get to choose where we go. So you're 
your ability to honor the soldiers and not necessarily someone someone in the back room fighting the war with a paper and a pen or you know or maybe someone who's invested in Halliburton or, or someone you know who's 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 doing like this secret war or whatever so I always say the same thing you do you you don't there's I don't think there's actually an anti-military I think there's just an anti um like an establishment you know like sure like I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into weapons of mass destruction. I'm not going to get into the Gulf of Tonkin, you know, the, which triggered the Vietnam War and all, yeah. uh, or, or whatever false flag operation. So, but <laughs> some people are just, some people, it's very much, look, it's in our human psyche to be mad at the prom queen, the girl that, that, that was elected prom queen instead of the people that voted her in. It's really, <laughs> right. really, it is in our human psyche to boo the guy who won an MMA match by decision when it wasn't him that made the decision. It was the judges that made the decision. Yeah. And, you're, and, and these assholes, are, 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 they can't help it, I guess. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's in our human psyche to infer to the negative and just see what's in front of us and go after. So, and I think you'll agree with me on that. So, I mean, oh, yeah. anyone, anyone, any decent human being would agree with you and me on that one yeah 100 yeah. percent. i hope so anyway or else we're we're doing some wrong things yeah. out here we're, we're in trouble as not a nation yeah. <laughs> no as a human population never mind yeah. as americans as a human population Absolutely. we're in trouble dude but getting back to what you were saying about winning and losing i had a really good quote from chael son an um, mma fighter um he was coaching Uriah Hall and like the ultimate fighter and Uriah Hall, like you said, has these moments where you work so hard and sometimes your enthusiasm works against you. And the, 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 the moment you, you, you can't dumb it down, it's just so overwhelming. So he said that something very important you'll agree with. Um, they say that losing is not an option. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Losing is an option. <laughs> losing is the most readily available option all the time so we as coaches we always want to say next play hey let's go let's move on or we can like negative talk creep up into our head like oh you should have got that where they're looking back and that's uh as volleyball players that's how somebody's mentality can cost them three points because of one point albeit a controversial call and this and that so for us as coaches and i'm just saying this and you and you you um follow through after this if you're one of those players that has like one of these hang-ups when the moment seems big or whatever um one the other team's feeling the same thing and two it's not an unnatural feeling it's a natural yeah. fucking feeling it's it's yeah. so um i wanted to get that in because it was something that we we bounced back but I, we bounced away but i wanted to, to bounce back on that before we moved on to whatever yeah i think mm -hmm. i think you hit it right on the head though mm -hmm. i think in what people overlook it is a natural feeling mm -hmm. you know when we're so i'll give you a little bit of uh, pretty cool stuff we were about to play in 2008 against brazil in the gold medal match right <laughs> i get goosebumps thinking about it talking about it um, I can still see us coming into the venue right next to Brazil. We're walking in. We're on this side, on the right. Brazil's on the left. You know, we're walking in. We're about to hit warm-up lines. We're about to get going. And I just look at all of our guys. And you can see. You can see some apprehension. You can see a little bit of jitteriness. And I'm sure as hell fired up. Um, and I just looked at them and I said, hey, man, it's okay. Let's hug it out. We hug it out on final. So we just gave everybody a big hug, um, looked at each other and said, hey, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. That's it. Mm -hmm. Don't get, don't, don't over magnify the situation. Who but the, like you just, but what's that? No, who on the team looked the coldest? Like the, uh, oh, as far Stanley, as like, yeah. Stanley by far. <laughs> not even, it was, I mean, not even, it was like he was going for a walk in the park, man. I mean, he was, I was pretty jacked. The uh, lawyer was pretty, everybody was jacked. Stanley was jacked. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, once he started serving, so he always had this crit when he was really engaged and at his best, he would, 
be landing about 12 to 15 feet into the court on his jump serve and just this massive noise. You yeah. know, it's hard to it's hard to explain it because it only happened, you know, maybe once a year. But he would throw his serve up and just this – it's like Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball. Completely different sound, landing on the ground, just sounds like a truck coming straight for you, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, like you said, losing is an option, man. It, it, and it's, a lot and of it's always quit, there when, right? you, when you need it. It's always ready yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I, one of the things I like to say is don't quit before the miracle happens. You know, there's there's some things that are going to go on. Losing's right there. I mean, it, it's definitely an option. As you're saying, next ball, let's side out. But, you know, to get to that level and to that mentality, especially if you've been playing pro or you're over in Europe and you're doing some things that are different, you know, you get paid to win over there, okay? If yeah. you're not winning – they're going to try to find someone who else can come in and take that spot for you. Or they're going to, you know, you're going to get, there's going to be an upgrade somewhere. Someone's going to get cut. Um, But losing is definitely an option. It's definitely an option. So um, the Olympics, I'd like to say something. Um, You guys are five and oh in pool. Um, some would say the murderers row were in the other pool, right? Like, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like Serbia, Montenegro, Russia, and Brazil. I think we're all in the same pool. Um, And Poland. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, nice. Nice if you guys. Nice if you guys have the host, right? <laughs> China. Yeah. To, China has a tune-up match before you go yeah. to the playoffs. Absolutely. So, I have one name for every win that you have: the quarters, the semis, and the finals. The easiest. I've already one, heard this, so the, the I, I know ones, the names that you have. Well, the easiest one's the finals, because yeah. Clay Stanley decided, look. I'm, 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 I might get blocked, but I'm gonna hurt some people. That is the life of a gangster. That is a life of an opposite. Right. And and I've accepted this role. Um, and yeah, for you, this is repetitive, but for the audience who's listening to this for the first time, (laughs) let's take us through it. I Um, forget we're on a podcast. I think we're just talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this isn't live. Usually I do live as a teaser. Uh, okay. but, but my whole computer shut off. It got pissed at me going live and doing this at the same time. So if we ever go live again, you got to be in studio next time you're in California, okay? Or you're in. Absolutely. Um, semifinals, uh, everyone listening. David Lee came up with a kill, came up with a block. Um, Russia got away with a chuck. <laughs> they, the USA forgot, said forget about it. You know, David Lee came up with a kill, blocked their oppo. Uh, Serbia Montenegro. You had some ridiculous power drinks that kept you in game four, but I have I have some highlights where you're up 12-10, and um, I want to take you to one. Let's do this. Let's do this. Oh, geez, you lost your mind. Hold on, let's go back. Yeah, this ball right here is the biggest swing of my career that's yeah. about to happen. Because they didn't leave you a whole bunch of lines. Serbia likes, to, like, if they're set up, oh, my God, that's awesome. Now, Riley, if they're set up on a on the three block, they're not gonna like give you anything. Some people away from the net will give up line away from the net. They're just they're just trying to take away everything. These guys are savages, dude. And here is match point. Which, yeah, second biggest swing of my life. Yeah, dude, that was great. Let's do match point. Actually, let's get some sound. I like how the it's almost like the cameraman knew it was gonna be you. Yeah, you, did you see the? He just saw the shot. <laughs> So little little mini go ball, and that was it. And look at here's you. The the shit is bananas. B na 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 nanas. So, yeah. um, how much um, do you agree, or is there any player that you wanted to add on that run? on any of those three matches let's uh with serbia montenegro to the best look it was a while ago i mean for yeah. me 2008 feels like yesterday but that was a minute ago so yeah. um let's start uh quarters 
Man, I, I'll go Loy Ball on all of them. Yeah. You know, I know that's uh, – I, I think that, you know, he did some incredible things and to keep us in system all the time. I mean, we I think we were the best passing team in, in, the, in the Olympics. I think whenever we look back on it, that's what we came up with. I think I was actually the best passer in the Olympics for an outside hitter. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things that I did really well, obviously, but there's things where – you put the ball over the net and he's grabbing it, you know, which is usually an overpass. It turns into a four point pass. Yep. You know, you're passing the ball 12 feet off the net. He's still keeping you perfectly in system. Um, there's just some things that were, he could do that. I've never seen another setter do just so consistently. Um, I played with uh, Ricardinho and Treviso one year and he was similar to Loy, but not, still not as good. You know, I mean, literally Loy would say, Hey, get on your route. Don't slow down, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just, you know, just constantly like that. I think, um, a really interesting point that people might not know is uh, the match point against Russia. Uh, Mikhailov had been crushing over me all match. And I was 100% sure they caught, we called a timeout to set up a blocking uh, scheme. And, you know, I said, hey, I'm closing the line all the way. He's like, and David's like, look, he's going to go sharp angle. I said, no, he's not, Dave. And we're literally arguing back and forth, you know. And sure enough, I go out, close the line. David stops short. Mikhailov hits at hard angle and David gets it with his right hand, you know, and it's straight down and it, and he looks at me and he goes, I told you, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and then we're on to the gold medal match, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, it, 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 there's so much that went in, into those matches and we had so really so many great volleyball guys on the team. You know, that was the most special part is you got 12 guys all bought in, you know, and I've, I've been on very few teams that are like that, you yeah. know, in Europe, it was never like that. Um, the national team was pretty much like that all the time, but th- th- that group had been together for a really long time. Yeah. You know, most of us from 2001 um, all the way up until 2008. And then some of the guys have been played, we played through 12 and then a couple of guys even through 16, you know, so I a good also, group of volleyball guys. Yeah. Um, Loy, Loy was probably, you know, I think that he's just overlooked because people expected him to be great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but he was by far the best player as far as just being consistently keeping us in the system, which obviously made us better than everyone And else. I'm glad he came back. Dude, yeah. it would have been it would have been a shame for that guy to play yeah. three Olympics and not leave with um not leave at the podium. So yeah. his decision to come back I thought was really, really cool, man. And you know, I thought he had some significant bro- uh, improvement on his blocking techniques because sometimes when you're a big dude like that, you're just <laughs> yeah. like, all right, I'm tall, I'm gonna block you. But then you, you play against these 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 cats uh, that are your size, where even the middles are, are you know, the middles are trying to pass like you. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you you gotta your technique has to be sound. Sometimes you gotta know when to press, you know, and when not to overpress. Just you know, get your armpit shaven, uh, this and that. The thing I liked about your team was you had three things I think every championship team should have. One, a tandem of outside hitters where one guy knew it was his role to be more explosive and it was, it was the other guy's role is to be the best passer on the court. The latter was you. Of course, if they needed you, you were there, as I just showed on the video. You, some, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's cool to be the finisher, right, when they're paying attention to everybody else. The, the second thing is a good coaching staff that understands that big waves crash. So they want you to be high but not too high. Uh, you were really good at whooping it up, but I thought you provided a good balance with Stanley being the cold guy and this and that. So you guys, you guys complimented each other. The third thing was being able to just do things out of tradition. Like you guys are at uh, row one, that's what people on a domestic um, indoor volleyball, row one is when the server is, uh, or the setter is at the server spot, right? Um, I didn't. I mean, I played overseas. I didn't even know what the hell rows were. But <laughs> when you guys were at row one against Serbia Montenegro, Stanley decided uh, for two rotations was blocking out there and you were hitting right side. 
right. you know, and then a half came in as a middle, you know, to, to, to get a couple of touch blocks, this and that. So I really liked, like, you look at every gold medal team, like the U.S. was, like Karch and Stork switched, right? Karch was a setter at UCLA, so, you right. know, um, Stahedda was, was killing him, so he decided to have Karch block him instead of Stork, and Stork actually hit left side on trans. So to do thing, these things out of tradition instead of just staying stubborn about how one way works, um, all of those things are the ingredients of gold medals, you know, not to mention two point victories, <laughs> man. Absolutely. That's a, well put. And there's an interesting thing that, uh, Loy used to love to block on the left. He was a much better blocker going to his left, which, you know, is interesting. It's just, it's just, he was better that way. Um, he also did another thing that was really interesting. When he came back, he didn't want to be captain. You know, he'd been captain for a couple of Olympics and he said, look, I just want to play ball. And he really did. He put himself aside and put his teammates in front of everybody, which, it's a hard thing to do, man. We always talk about being unselfish and being, you know, being a great teammate. Um, but it's real hard to do at that level. You know, people, you want to be noticed. Like you said, you want to be noticed as the closer. You want to be noticed as this guy. You want to get paid. Mm -hmm. um, but he did a great job, you know, of, of putting himself aside, letting Hoff and myself be captains. And, you know, it, Hoff was really great. You know, he's, probably, he's been my best friend, my, father, my son's godfather. And uh, he was a little bit nicked up uh, last couple of years. But he was another, he was a coach from the sideline. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, him and I would watch video. We knew all the rows. We knew the tendencies. And obviously got to go out and execute. But uh, having another coach on the side that's a player that can talk to you like a player was really instrumental in, in, that, in that Olympic Games as well. Yeah, um, you were talking about training some people out in California. Where, um, remind me, were they juniors or professionals? Were you no, doing... they're professionals. Uh, David Lee and yeah. Ty Loomis. They play on the beach. The the, yep. the AVP, and uh, you know, obviously played with David for whatever it was, six seven years indoor. Um, and then he's still playing. That's what he does. He's still trying to play in the AVP and do make a little living out there. Uh, so I went out there, uh, hit some hit some balls out on, then actually got in and played this morning which was awful. I mean, it's the first time I played in the sand in seven months. So it was your tape slow monster. motion. Your tape monster and on offense. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I could serve in. That was my claim to fame. I'm like, hey, it's in. So we're, it, but it was really fun to see them and uh, move around. They actually had a group of 16 guys out there this morning, like Corona Del Mar training. And yeah. just, it's fun to see the young, the youth and the passion. I, I really hope the AVP can put together a tour in the next year or two that can, can stop, can compensate some of these guys, you know, because it's, it's hard. Even if you, you, I mean, to really make a living on that tour, you've got to be in the top five every single weekend. And then you still might have to get another job. The Listen, you know? the, the, the AVP next tournaments have gotten better. I just, <laughs> I just, dude, I just got back from New Orleans. I was during their center court. Uh, um, wow, awesome. For, C, for TSV TV, the, the cable channel. Oh, cool, channel. yeah, right on. Um, and for CST. So I was doing the cable channel and the live stream. Um the AVP brought in the refs, you know, they brought in like the, the MC, but like the Coconut Beach people were adamant about having yeah. me. Like Sean LaDigg was instrumental in his. That's on, awesome. Look, I pay my dues. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not here to talk about me, but I'll just say, hey, I pay my, <laughs> I pay my dues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A little bit of an obstacle at a time and here I am. So, yeah. but that was a $20,000 purse. And that for a next, they had the Raptors. They had like the media thing, like above the whatever. They had a restaurant on the beach. It was yeah. a, a merchandising shops. It was like a first class setup for a next and now atlantic yeah. city before the three-stop tour atlantic city that's 50k so yeah. so i think as they continue to do a, a better job on these next and i think a lot of these um guys who are in the middle of the bottom of the main draw like ty loomis you know whatever they continue to go to those tournaments they continue to build the brand of the next and then when the stops come 
uh, uh, just look out as far as media um, frenzy and fan attention and and um, revenue and all that stuff. Whatever. I, I don't know what the hell they're doing, but it looks good and I like it. I mean, Amazon had to be the biggest gangster move, right? Yeah, Amazon I agree Prime with you. That, had to you know, be the biggest. What do you think move. of uh, Evan Corey? Evan Corey is the he's the future. Is he? I yeah. haven't seen him in. Um, God, it's probably been three years since I've seen him play on the beach and. I obviously I follow him on Instagram and stuff and he's killing it. So I'm, I will say I'm this excited to him. see how he's playing. I will say this about him. Uh, Hermosa Beach, 2019, I, I picked up um, Earl Schultz, the guy with the afro, Big Pearl. Yeah. Him yeah. and Jake Arudia, Jersey, the guy, this guy they call Jersey Jake. They picked me up and we got into the draw. I coached him into the draw. That was my first qualifier team. No, second. Oh, cool. Well, second, Rafa Rodriguez and Kevin McCulloch in 2016. So I've been, oh. I've always been there. I've just been behind the yeah. scenes. I'm not out there, sure. you know, pick, picking up a team that's already good. But um, yeah. we played Evan Corey well, to get in as a play-in. Um, great situation. Budinger and, and Friend, they were the one seed, they already out. They got outed. They got upset. So we served this guy three balls, and he's his left, his range. It's like, dude, you're an indoor player? Dude, you need two blockers. You're trying to do yeah. a two block. You're trying to jump in on that four block switch. And he's yeah. like, four block? I'm still going to go across anyway. He, <laughs> I'm like, and I mean and I mean clean. So yeah. during the technical timeout, I literally, you literally saw me in the huddle behind the afro saying, yeah. we're not serving that guy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but he won um, uh, New Orleans. They beat. Uh, yeah, I know. Four, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Mar he also was, won the next one, or he won something else right after that last week in chaos somewhere yeah. or something. He just needs Got to it. stop being a hitman for hire. Get a partner, train with him. Right now, it's Logan Weber. Um, right. I don't know that guy, though. Logan's a guy uh, out of Iowa, and I saw him at a USA. Like, a, a, you remember those USA? Um, um, college Invitationals, Hermosa Beach yeah. has every year. Sure. I, that's the yeah, first yeah. time I saw him. And then I saw okay. him at FIVB. And then he qualified with Christian Honer. And, he, okay. he's, and he's been switching partners. But they found each other, played five tournaments in a row. And now, let's do, just stay with that guy for the rest of the year. I'm a, yeah. I'm, look, yeah. I got to give you the floor because I could talk all day. How important <laughs> it is, how important is it to to actually just play consecutive tournaments. I know it's good to train with people and I know it's good to switch partners here and there. How important is, is it for David Lee, okay? And and um, sorry, is it pretty? Ty. No, Ty, Ty Loomis. How, is it, how important is it for them to stay together until the end of 2021? Just, just yeah. getting there. You know, I don't know if those guys are actually training together to play together, but you know, for just for, for grins, you know, I, <clears throat> I feel you have to have that cohesion, man. I mean, you got to find a guy you're comfortable with and grind it out with him. You know, you got to make sure before you start the journey, hey, this is my guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, whoever that is, get the reps. I mean, there's nothing but you can only improve when you got you're, you're playing with the same guy. You got to know tendencies. You got to get the sets down. You got, especially with the game now, how it's moving around so much. Guys are going back and front and mm -hmm. quick and slow. Um, you know, you got to know what your blocks, your guys doing on the block. You got to have a system in place in defense. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, obviously. I think what is attractive to young players is when they get hit up by a, an AVP guy, you know, or someone that has points. Right. Well, uh, you know, they think that that might be the best thing, but in reality, I believe that going with your guy and just grinding out for a season is instrumental in growth. I mean, just doing that and having a training regimen that you stick to, that you get in the habit of doing, that teaches you how to be a professional. Yeah. You know, if you can do that mm -hmm. and get that with another guy, get that rapport, then you're going to, you know, you'll be successful. You'll get better. I mean, if you switch up partners, I understand and I, and I agree with you that you shouldn't just go with someone for points for its own sake. But like yeah. the, the, the two exceptions are 
to have a partner where you don't have to deal with your partner, and which I, which is why I think Ty Loomis and David Lee, uh, personality-wise, like, like Ty Loomis likes to whoop it up, but it's not a three-on-one situation where you have to deal with his personality. He has your yeah. back, right? right. If, you, if if you're if your your chemistry and if you're down with that, he has your back and you have his. So if you're that kind of player, that's why him and Madison McKibben won San Francisco a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, man, they had each other's. Madison's like, all right, this guy likes to, you know, like block someone and walk away like he shot the sheriff. Yeah. I, I come back. I'm not going to get ace the next play because I'm yeah. thinking about him. No, I got his back, right? So that gives you an insight on the personalities I'm talking about. And the, the second thing is, if you're going to have a temporary partner, make sure he's the single best hitman for hire. Dave, for yeah. example, Dave Palm, right? Yeah, Dylan, I played with Dave Palm. Dylan Marrick picks him up. They beat Kay Spear and Shock on center court. I mean, you know, so. And Dave Palm has an interesting story. He got dropped three days before a tournament for like a bid tournament to get in the Manhattan Beach and he picks up Lochek or something like Casey Lochek. Lochek is playing pickup. He's like, what are you, where are you going? Come play with me in this tournament. And he wins. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, but that's like, that's a hit. That's an example of a hitman for hire, a, yeah. a fucking caveman actually. Yeah. So, no, yeah. da David Palm and I actually played together. And oh, do tell. Yeah. Uh, 20, I want to say it was, so I retired in 2012. It was the it, as the first year of the NBL. I can't remember if that was twelve or thirteen, um, and I was still playing, hanging on a little bit, and um, I could still get out in the sand. And I needed a young guy that could jump and play and do all that stuff. And I played a, a tournament with my ex partner Jake Elliott just for grins in um, Georgia. Oh my gosh, what's the name of that? Some beach in Georgia. Oh God, I can't think of the name of it. And anyway, we played a we played a. It starts with a T. Tybee Beach, does that sound right, maybe in Georgia? Maybe. I'll ask Tom Block or someone see what he <laughs> Yeah, so anyhow, I'm at, we're there, and him and I are like the fifth seed, and we're still we're playing okay, but we're just not explosive, but we're having fun, and it's good to see each other. We haven't seen each other in a long time. And our first game is against David Palm and his partner, and I'd never seen David Palm before, and he's like jumping over the net, you know. He's 19 or 20 at the time. Jeez. Um, so I'm like – and I know that I'm going to go play this NBL because the Han Hanneman's asked me to come over – and, you know, do some clinics with my medal and do some things and kind of kind of be their front man. Right. So I, I agreed to it. And but I wanted a good partner. So I picked up David and we played the first one in Dallas and we took a third. We lost to um, who, we lost to Bongrens in the crossover. OK. Uh, so, Brian. yeah, it was a solid event. Um, really interesting story is they're serving me every ball. And I'd never played against the Bongrens either. I hadn't seen them. I'd been obviously on my indoor journey. And these guys obviously are really good. Tim blocked me eight times in the first set. He's, and my wife is we're, we're, it's like 21 to 14, right? Mm -hmm. I'm coming off getting water. My wife walks up. She goes, hey, I've never seen you get blocked that many times. And I said, thanks, honey. Appreciate it. I love you. <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah, was, he's like, but wait, shit. I played Serbia Montenegro with yeah. a triple block and I, yeah, I she, could she sneak didn't see all through. those, you know. But, it, but I mean, it was literally just boom, 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 you know. And yeah. anyway, we went, we went three sets, lost 16 14, tough match, you know. Um, but I knew David was going to be really good. You know, he had, uh, he has the heart, he has the passion. And so every time I go to Florida, I run out and hang out with him and see what he's up to. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we played together for one tournament. And then I played one more NBL and then I was done. Or maybe I played two more. I can't remember. But yeah, he's a great guy and great, like you said, hitman for hire. He's, he's exactly yeah. that. Oh, I hope to see him have some success in the AVP. Yeah, I mean, well, I coached him and Jeff Samuels at Huntington. And oh, cool. It was just crazy, like watching two blockers, like split block and this and that. And everything seemed normal. But we ran into Dylan Marrick and Brandon Clemens. And 
No. And Brandon Clemens, when that Harvard guy, when he's on fire, there's so many ways. You as an indoor player can appreciate the 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 variations of cross court <laughs> that this man <laughs> yeah, can hit. Right. And, Absolutely. And Dave, Dave Palmer, I, I think our mistake was Palmer insisted on just blocking lines. You know, he thought just blocking yeah. line, both, both, both sides of the net was good enough to get into the draw. And under normal circumstances, he'd be right. But that last round, I think we both know you're, you're probably going to run into someone who's already been in the draw. It's like, I mean, yeah. to play in, you're never going to run into someone, you know, that's that's that hasn't it's been, a tough been in the match it's going to be a that's ball game you got to be ready yeah yep. so yeah so they they ended up winning in two of uh clemens and 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 um and marrick and then marrick ended up playing with palm so that was pretty cool and then palm yeah, played clemens with camacho and then he played with camacho in austin dana camacho <laughs> yeah i played I, I played against dana for a long time so my first two years before so when i was 18 i played I was 19, played a year on the Wilson qualifying tour. Mm -hmm. This and I, so I only went to two years of junior college. That was it. I don't have a degree. I don't have, um, you know, I, after my second year at Pierce Junior College, I started playing professionally. You know, when I was 19 years old. So my route has was really different getting to the national team. Um, but I played a year on the Wilson tour and then qualified for the AVP. So I was exempt for the first four events. Played those events. I took two ninths and two seventeenths which was great finishes back then. I mean, it was a three-day event back then. To get to Sunday was an absolute, you know, miracle, especially for two 19-year-old kids. Me and Jake were both 19 and young, and we were out there, you know, hanging out, partying, doing all the stuff that you do as a young AVP guy. But it was, um, again, you talk about talk the cohesion through partners. So I actually moved to South Carolina to train with him, you know, because I, I figured it wouldn't do us any good, me being in Houston, him being in South Carolina, if we didn't get to train together. And if I was going to do it, we were going to do it the right way. And, you know, we obviously, that's what we did. We trained four hours a day, you know, get get to where we were really comfortable with each other. And that's what we did. You know, we, we had a great season on the AVP. And then right after that, that, I was asked to come to the national team. So I was in Europe the following year, playing my second year in Italy. And uh, Doug Bill just happened to call me. Um, someone had seen me over there. And he said, hey, we, we, we've we never met, but I'd like you to come and try out for the World League roster. And I was like, Shh. you know, there was... Yeah. I was absolutely over the Am moon. I, are we there yet? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing is I said, this is not Doug Beal. Who the hell is this? Because I was I was really convinced it was one of my friends playing a joke on me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over in Europe, you got nothing else to do. So we're always jacking around with each other. Um, but it was really him. You know, my wife sitting across from me going, you know, play, be calm, be calm. And at the time, I was just, I didn't know what to do. So the next call was to Jake and said, hey, dude. He goes, man, if you come here and play the AVP, I'll kick your ass. Yeah. You know, you're going to the national team. You, you know, told him I got some me. good news and some bad yeah. news. <laughs> That's what you told him. I got some yeah. good news and some bad news. Yeah, exactly. So right. Doug was, um, was Doug the coach in 2004? Yeah, 2000, 2004 was Doug Bill and Hugh McCutcheon was his assistant. Mm -hmm. Hugh McCutcheon took over in, in 2004 to 2008. Right. Um, then, then Hugh went from 08 to the women's side, from 08 to 12, and Alan Knight came in 2009 to 2008-2012. Right. Or right after the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, but, wow. what are, uh, I talked to Ryan Millar about the, the match you guys played in Greece. Um, Ryan, <laughs> yeah. Ryan was on the podcast. And, okay. Because yeah. I, just, I just had a question for him. Basically, you guys are down 20 to 12. You're down two sets to one against Greece in Athens. He's, he said there was like a bonfire like in the corner. There was like this big party atmosphere. He's like, is the place on fire? No, they lit up a fire in the gym and no one cares. A flare. So, a flare. Yeah. 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 Ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. so, so for the people listening that didn't get a chance to listen to Ryan Millar, basically 12-20, down two sets to one, uh, 
uh, Don Sucho comes Sujo. in, right? Yeah. Comes in, I guess, because he ain't getting no playing time. Might as well put him in. Y'all ain't going to win. Yeah. You guys come back and win the fourth set. Fifth set um, to make it, I think it's to make it 14-13. Donald Sucho had this nice on two, almost like a like a right-hand knuckle, like a jumbo shrimp over the libero. It was, it was Lloyd's kind of shot. Like a clean it was a shot. pineapple. Yeah. So that's what, yeah, so, it, you know, Lloyd calls it the pineapple because it looks like a pineapple and drops, right? Yep. So it was... Donald had some variation of that shot. But another thing is we were down 8-5 in the fifth, Yep. you know, on the switch. And uh, <laughs> it was incredibly noisy in there, to say the least. I mean, it was 20 – I want to say it was either twenty eight or 32,000 people, you know, just – and we literally – you couldn't hear each other talking until it was match point. <laughs> yeah. And then it was quiet as a – I mean, it was, it was quiet as a church in there. So the question I have for Ryan, it's 15 up, right? Someone in the crowd blows a whistle. The Greek players stopped playing. In fact, I think the only two people that didn't stop playing were Don Sujo, the setter, and Malar, who hit the quick set on yeah. it. Yeah. And it was so weird and it's crazy because I had video and now I don't have it, but it doesn't, now I don't care. Yeah. We're showing another video. But um, I guess my question to Ryan is I'm going to ask you the same question. Did you guys hear the whistle and and just uh, and Ryan just instinctively just follows through? Because sometimes you, you your twitch reaction and your mind or what's you know sending messages to your body to not swing or swing. Did you sure. guys hear the whistle or was it so fucking noisy in there? Like you like you didn't hear it. You weren't sure if you did or didn't and just hit. Well, they they weren't allowed to have those whistles in the crowd supposedly. Right. But as soon as the match starts, you hear they're everywhere. I mean, so you're used to it, right? It's just blaring <laughs> off, you know. And I, I don't remember exactly. I know Ryan, if he heard it, I know he was going to hit the ball anyway. I mean, we were just playing through everything at that point. And, right. Uh, I don't I don't remember hearing it. You know, I mean, as a whistle, right? You, we were, there was all kinds of noise all over the place. Um, but I, I can remember that play, and I remember the look on the Greek guys' faces. You know, it was just it looked like their hearts had just been ripped out, too. You know, it's like, what the heck just happened, you know? but yeah. um, I had to rewind it. I had to rewind yeah. it because – when he when Ryan Millar hit it, like the all uh, like four of the Greek players were looking at the ref. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I don't think that was a double. I don't, you know, what what was the call? So, and then um, oh man, that was ter- that was great. I mean, I was in Barcelona and that happened. Japan had match point. Um, actually, the Japan already should have won. There were two yellow cards on Bob Samuelson. It should have been right. A red. Yeah. That should have been a wrap. But then, um, off of a dig, someone in the crowd blew the whistle and Japan was celebrating like they won. It's Tavert leaks. No, Scott Fortune screaming at the top of his lungs. No, he he didn't blow the whistle because the top ref thought the <laughs> yeah. bottom ref. The top ref thought the bottom ref blew the whistle. It was, yeah. dude, that whole fourth set was chaos. It was, first of all, Ivy gets hurt wiping the floor. They have like rags, you know, they have these little yeah. towels. Yeah, on the he just falls, <laughs> his, he, his knee gives out, wiping the floor. Yeah. Enter Samuelson, yellow card, and then a, a match point, a second yellow, which they never penalized him for, so now the match yeah. goes on. Steve Timmons on match point, hits out one out of the D zone. The rest call him over the line. The replay shows he's behind. He's not. Yeah. Japan has <laughs> match point. Uh, um, someone in the crowd blows the whistle. They think the match is over. All of this shit happens in the yeah. fourth set. It's great. Only at the end for the Olympic Committee to do the right thing, right? I mean, two yeah. two yellows is a red. Japan deserved the win, but yeah. and then everyone shaved their heads. Um, yeah, absolutely. And- that was like the first time I'd ever really watched volleyball ever, yeah. and I, you know, went I was into at that it. game. I was at that game. Yeah. That's awesome. What were you there doing? I was. Um, 
Well, I can't talk about the mission, but I was with on this mission with the Italian army, the United States Army. Oh, we had, we, okay. So I wound up in Sardinia on top of a hill with a bunch, yeah. a bunch of yucca bushes with a, an Italian soldier that didn't speak English. I didn't speak Italian, but we both spoke Spanish. So we, oh, we did okay. that. Yeah. So we wound up in Switzerland and then wound up somewhere else and wound up in Barcelona. So we, everywhere we went, we didn't have civilian clothes. We, so we had like our BDUs, like the, you yeah. know, like the jungle things, uh, the yeah. class Bs. So they were like, hey, you guys want to come and watch a game? I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm, I was playing with a military community team at the time. And then the club team, Darmstadt, I got yanked off the team for this mission. They, they didn't have, I was a generator mechanic. They didn't have, they didn't have any generator, uh, enough generator mechanics for, for the mission. So I got yanked off of the club team and the military community team. And then by hook or crook, wound up watching game one. Uh, 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 USA versus Japan in Barcelona. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I'm, weird. We're, that's crazy how life takes you there, right? Yeah, I'm probably on what camera somewhere. What you do as a generator but, mechanic? Can you tell me what that was like? What is that? Well, a diesel generator mechanic, I serviced uh, 5Ks, like 10K generators. Sometimes the 50Ks for hospitals. Um, I trained at Fort Belvoir. I went to boot camp at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, and then I trained in Fort Belvoir along with refrigeration and air conditioning re uh, repair guys, um, turbine engine repair. So it was Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines. So AIT, they, okay. everyone trains together. So I supported a signal unit that supported military intelligence. So, oh, like, cool. so the so ranger unit had to go. The signal unit was, you know, close by. And where there's a signal unit, you need a, gener you need a, a wheel mechanic for the Humvees. And you need a generator mechanic. So they always look for volunteers. I'm like, I'm volunteering. I brought the Nintendo. This dude brought the TV. The third person brought, <laughs> the sergeant in charge brought the propane grill. And we, we, if something broke down, we fixed it. And then, you know, whoever's on, not on guard duty, we, we, we yanked him for spades to play spades. And, and that was, that was my time. I served 90 to 93. Uh, it was kind of between wars. You know, yeah. two, two weeks before I graduated AIT, the, the ceasefire in Kuwait happened. Um, I ended up going anyway for three weeks or whatever, just to play sand golf. Um, <laughs> but but that, I played a year. I yeah. played a year in Kuwait. You, you did. That's, I played a season there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that must have been. Tell, tell, us, tell us about that. Yeah. Come it was on. Absolutely don't, I don't get to wild. hear this everywhere. Tell us about that. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild, man. Um, get there. And uh, the guy that was is then in my career, 2011, I think, is my second to last uh, season I'd been. I, that I played. Uh, McK Dave McKenzie was a guy that played before me for this club for like five years. Right. And they brought me in to replace him as a left side hitter. Well, David was traditionally an opposite and he jumped really high and he was extremely physical and he hit crazy angles. He was the complete opposite. And I am. But as they bring me in and they're trying to coach me, all they would say is jump higher like Dave, jump higher like Dave. That was the whole coaching. I got every single set for three months and, you know, my, you know, I can hit the ball, like you said, but my, that's not my primary role, right? My primary role is to control the ball, be a great leader, you know, do all the little dirty work. Well, they wanted me to do everything there. So it lasted about two months. We made it to the final four, and we had to win this match to go to, like, a, a Champions Cup, um, essentially. And I played really poorly, pulled me right off the court and fired me in front of everybody. No. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Absolutely. Christ. It was uh, man, the shit that happens to you and Dave McKenzie, man. <laughs> man it, it was unbelievably wild. It was um I, I can't think he was royalty uh over there. He was in charge of all of the cell phones in Kuwait his family owned. So they took me out to his palace, by the way. A palace. And I'm talking a real palace. And he comes out, the owner dressed in the gear and everything and I mean, I see two Bentleys, two Maseratis, a Ferrari in the, I mean, it was unbelievable. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, it was unbelievably crazy. The guy, they had a lot of money, but they didn't know anything about volleyball. You know, it was it was a really poor league. No, and no, and no real coaching, I guess, too. You, no, you zero, jump higher. <laughs> you hit a ball out. Look, hit in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Mackenzie, our man. general, our general manager slapped a 19 year old kid in the back of the head because he hit set point out. And he was sitting right beside me. And I was but, just turned up and I said, hey, man, we got to calm down here. But and damn, the don't we all want to smack that kid it. in the back of the head? <laughs> it, was, I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy, man. I was like, holy cow, what am I doing? And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really wild. <laughs> I could picture stuff- myself watching it. Like set point, it hits it out. I'm like, yeah. and, I'm, and I could picture me watching the TV like, man, someone smacked this kid. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit. I was I was kidding. Uh, I was I mean, kidding. Slapped, <laughs> Don't he, you he slap the kid? The it. it was hard. <laughs> but another really interesting fact is that this 19-year-old kid who was, uh, he was a Kuwait citizen. He got a $3,000 stipend a month from the government because he was Kuwaiti. And then he also got $3,000 a month to play volleyball. So at 19 years old, this kid's making $72,000 to play worse than high school volleyball. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, it was unbelievable. So, you know, I would just, I embrace the experience. Like I said, try to learn something from it. Um, and I learned I wouldn't go back and play in that league. But it was, yeah. it was a fun experience. And, you know, you're just you're grateful to get us another season and kept the kept the checks coming in for a little bit and pay some bills for the family. Yeah, Dave McKenzie, um, he I he was on a podcast from we we did it from he's lives in Malaysia, but we did yeah that. sure. And he he mentioned a shortstop in Kuwait, but I didn't get the story that you just gave me in detail. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, he was there actually three years, I believe, yeah. like a, a pretty decent amount of time or three seasons. Yeah, I think I I actually asked him about like him getting flagged for like a banned substance or whatever. He's like, ah, I don't want to talk about that. And then like five seconds later, you know what? Fine. Nah, I'll talk about it. It was it was, and he was right. Look, it was just this weird thing where like in order for him to take the test it would cost him more money his own dime to take the flight to where they're doing the testing he, he was telling me the testing didn't come to you like the ufc right and you know wake you up four o'clock in the morning pee in a bottle he's like i'm not paying the money that he was making in the league you, you know he's not he's not going there to take a test on his own dime because there there was some kind of red flag or whatever and this and that you know and it wasn't even like a performance enhancing drug it was like a banned substance you know like your thing i read i read about you you like you were um you are an avalite avalite like i worked in a cardiology practice for for, for 17 uh, years hydrochlorothiazide was what i tested positive for which is also a masking agent which i it's had no perfect, idea for. but it's legal it's Look, it's so weird, like how how yeah. something like cocaine or whatever is illegal to sell or whatever, but it's not a banned substance. Yeah. And then yeah. you have something, a blood pressure medication that's not only legal but good for you. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> like first of all, it's AstraZeneca. They, I mean, I'm not a big drug guy, but AstraZeneca, um, that's Avalide, that's Avapro, right? Av- Avalide, okay. Avalide is like Avapro with hydro- hydrochlorothiazide. Right. So exactly. So, um, yep. am I good or am I good or what? That's like pretty I said, impressive. I, I didn't yeah. know that I was going to be dealing with this, but that's a that's actually spot on. So what's interesting about mm-hmm. the story though is when I get popped, I'm playing in Italy, and I mean I'm. I, I'm all over the place. I don't want to be there. It's been a tough year. I actually started the year in Turkey and got E. coli. Oh, and so I was sick with E. coli. Shit. They were, t- and I was trying to get treated in Turkey and I was diagnosed with a possible brain tumor. Um, and there was two other horrible diagnoses. And I said, you know what? I'm going home today. 
So I leave on my own. I don't tell them. I'm like, I'm going to the airport. I just bought a ticket at the airport and bounced home. Well, when I get Good. back, they put me on that medicine. You know, they, they, we get, they run a gamut on me and I have E. coli. That's what it comes down to. And so I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you can't do anything for eight weeks minimum. So, you know, I go back and I t tell everybody in Turkey, they think I'm lying because I took $100,000 up front as a payment. And they think I don't want to go back, which is not, you know, it wasn't the case. I was really sick, you know, and so they, they're, they're telling me they're not going to pay me any more of my contract, which is, I've been a paid, I guess, about uh, close to a third of what I was going to make, maybe in that area. And, you know, I'm trying to get healthy, but I'm like, hey, I'm on all of these prescriptions. I said, I can't do anything for at least eight weeks. I'll come back in eight weeks. And they said, no, you need to come back in four. And, you know, for, you know, being a young, gullible guy that I was, I needed the money. So I showed up there and then they convinced me to play the next week. I start warming up and my blood pressure goes to, I think it was 210 over 180 what when I got pulled off the court. Hell? Yeah. I mean, Good almost Lord. dying, right? Yes. And um, so fortunately, long story short, I leave again the next day and then I go and get treated. You have E. coli. You cannot do anything for six weeks. So I don't. Uh, but at the end of the year, I get a job in um, Treviso, which is one of the better clubs, obviously, back in the day is uh, actually probably the best volleyball club. And I was going over to back up. Um, Poppy and Shazola, who were the two outside hitters when I, from 2000 to 2008, yeah. best probably duo in the world for a long time. So I was going as a third outside, very minimal stress, but if somebody struggles, I could go in and settle it down. Well, I get over there and I'm taking the medicine because I have to stay on it. Um, and I have no idea that it is a doping violation. None at all. I've been taking it for three or four months and I take the test in Italy. And then I, two weeks later, I'm home, a season's over, or maybe three weeks and I get the test result. And I immediately call our athletic trainer and he's like, what have you been taking? I said, nothing, nothing, you know? And he said, well, this is like a, it's a masking agent. And I said, no, well, I don't know what it was. Long story short, I end up going home to Houston and a really good friend of mine is a pharmacist. And he goes, Hey dude, that hydrochlorothiazide is in your, you know, it's a diuretic and it's also in that Avapro that you take. Yeah. And the mystery was solved. So called, um, I went to Switzerland the next week. They basically accredited me for time served. Good. I had a three month suspension that was really just the time that I was already off of it anyway. But what, it was a really, what, it was. What doctor made you switch from Avapro to Avalide though? Like Avapro on its own was, is, was a, is a blood pressure emit, a pressure. Yeah. I, I'm not sure why they yeah. did that. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know. I'm, I always, don't know I, I, I don't I'm, know I'm only asking for interest because yeah, um, I really before I started know. doing this volleyball, this gangster shit full time, yeah. <laughs> I worked in a cardiology practice for 17 yeah. years uh, after the military. My guy looked at my resume and said, hey, OK, good enough to serve in the army, good enough to work for me. So that's which is an old school virtue. But um, yeah, I worked at this, this. His name was Dr. Rosenfeld. He was kind of like the doctor of the stars. And I learned so much about the practice and even though he's looking at me like why do you care he's like you're here yeah. you're here because you know he says i know you're gonna when you leave you're gonna be coaching city college ncaa right <laughs> when you leave here you're gonna be auditioning for this play because that's my major in college was was um theater performance so he he's the one that told me to go out and do all those things but he's like so in addition to all these things you want to you want to know about drugs too and i'm like i'm like yeah because when the yeah. when the when the pharmaceutical reps come i could save him a bunch of time Having, sure. having conversations and you know how does dr roosevelt feel about this i can tell him and if and if he needs to talk to him he can so so i just got I, I gave me a raise too by the way because when i started yeah, knowing shit, i'm like give me some more money <laughs> but but yeah that was just a curiosity question like avapro is basically um 
they don't have anything in there that would, that would get you flat. You know, I mean, it's crazy, you know, and I, and I hate it because it makes it seem like you're trying to get over on someone. It's not even, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, that's not a, a performance enhancing drug. It's a banned substance. Okay. Terbanolol is a performance enhancing drug, right? Yeah. Again, and when Chael Sonnen, when Chael yeah. Sonnen got busted, they're like, why did you take PEDs? He says, I took performance enhancing drugs to enhance my performance. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I'm going to take something that's going to diminish my performance? Are you crazy? So, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's jump before I forget. How'd you get started with volleyball? I mean, the people, listen, the people got to know. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, boom. Yeah, well, I was in Texas. You know, I grew up in Texas. Uh, I didn't like, I didn't know volleyball. Not that I didn't like it. Thought it was a girl's sport like everybody else in Texas. Um, one day I was going, I'd made the freshman basketball team, got cut as a sophomore from the basketball team. And I, my mission was to make the JV team as a junior. Um, so I was going to open gym every day to play basketball, but my good buddy was going to play volleyball in the girls' gym. They had, you know, they do pickup sixes or whatever it was over there. One day the gym's being resurfaced from my basketball open gym, and I just, I was like, oh, man, I got to sit around for two hours now. Walk over, and, you know, I'm just sitting there, and they're like, hey, we need one. Why don't you jump in here? I'm like, no, nah, I'm okay, man. No, I really no, don't want to. That's for girls, man. Yeah, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> and um, he said, hey, just play till this other guy gets here. You know, it turns out that he was, there was never a guy <laughs> coming. But I was like, okay, I'll jump in. Then I was left front. They threw me up left front first. Uh, they served us. The ball was shanked over towards me. And so the setter's running, and he can only bump it up to me. So he bump sets me. I took two steps and hit it and looked at everybody, and I was like, wow. That was fun. And they're like, you've never done this before? I said, no, never. <laughs> I said, but I want to. And literally it was like a one second deal. You know, like a lot, of, I hear a lot of people that have that kind of that sensation, but I played from that day, five days in a row, five years in a row without missing a day. You know, um, so I started, that was my junior year. I was really fortunate. We had a club volleyball team on our high school. You know, you had to go and pay for yourself, but we had someone organize it and we got to play like six other high schools. And we would play right after the varsity match. So that was pretty cool. You know, there would be still 20, 30 people watching. And so it started growing the game, um, made a junior Olympic team that was across town uh, on the north side of Houston. So it would take me an hour to drive there, sometimes an hour and a half for practice and then an hour back to my house. Um, but I made the team and it was essentially these guys that had played for Episcopal High School. And um, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a private school league that's been, I guess it's been around for a long time. Um, and they had five guys that played, they've been playing together for three or four years as a club and they needed one more guy. So they threw me in there. Um, we ended up finishing, we beat Balboa Bay at our first nationals, you know, which was a big deal for us. Obviously their first team, they're always really good. This was our last, this is really the national championship was the last tournament and I'd never been recruited. Um, so by the time we get to that last tournament, there's a couple of junior colleges coaches there and come up to me and said, Hey, where are you from? What do you do? And I said, oh, man, I'm going to, you know, what are you going to go do? I said, probably go to the junior college here and work in the plants. You know, that's what I planned on doing. Yep. And uh, they said, well, why don't you come out to California? Why don't you come out and try it? My mom's standing right beside me, you know, and we, we're in um, Austin. And then we got to drive back to Dallas or to Houston. And we just get in the car. She's like, what do you think about that? I'm like, you know, I think it'd be great. It'd be fun to do. I said, I didn't even know you could play in college. You know, I mean, I really, I'd known some of our guys were going, but I didn't think it was, it was for me. Well, I get out there, and then when I get to Pierce, they take me um, take me out to the AVP. It was an AVP next or whatever it was, Wilson at the time. And I saw that, and I was like, that's what I want to do. And so kind of put all my time and resources into practicing volleyball, going to school, mm -hmm. 
probably as little as I could, <laughs> you know, I mean, just enough to get by to pass the classes. Um, but I loved California. And then I went on, you know, after the Pierce, I went and played in Europe, got on the national team. And obviously so that was Pierce College though, right? It was Pierce College. Yeah. I played a year at Foothill College was my first year. And my second year was at Pierce College. Was Foothill there, was was there a, Jim, a Jimmy Fears there? Uh, Cole Fears' dad said he played there. Or Cole said it. Cole Fears said his dad played there. I don't know with me. I, okay. Not with me, I don't no, think. Okay. All right. No, doesn't sound, doesn't sound familiar. No, nah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and then, after, you know, that. but to start was really weird. I mean, I had no idea I'd be playing volleyball that day. It was the last thing I thought was going to happen. Um, and then as soon as I jumped up and hit that ball, the feeling was like, oh, this was so cool. So, uh, you know, and I tell that story often, and that's, 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 and I still go, you know, Texas now has gotten a lot bigger in boys volleyball. They have a pretty decent, decent couple of programs down there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, recruiting there, obviously I go there and recruit um, for Jamestown and then uh, kind of just in Southern California right now, seeing what's going to happen next. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so weird that, um, okay, not for California, but for Texas, right? You don't think of men's volleyball as a college sport because you look at all of the big colleges, Texas, Texas A&M. Uh, uh, let's go to Notre Dame. Let's go Michigan, Michigan State. Let's go uh, um, Nebraska, right? All of these big schools, Florida, right? Uh, um, Florida State, South Carolina, none of these teams. Every team I mentioned, none of them actually have an NCAA team. I um, Men's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I've coached NCAA for 12 years, but the, the coolest thing I've ever done was I coached a high school team that was a championship team that, that produced no NCAA players, right? I heard you say that. Yeah, on the, yeah that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> funny. That's, yeah, they just, look, for these kids, but for those kids, student came before the student athlete, right? That school, yeah. that school was, dude, I'm glad I landed that I don't even know how I landed that Justin Stack, thank you. But but um yeah, that school led the nation in two categories. It was cumulative SAT scores and Ivy League <laughs> Ivy League uh Ivy League application acceptance. So that's that's so, awesome. Yeah. That's when, really so cool. outside hitter Johns Hopkins, you know, uh, Apo and Libero Brown, um <laughs> um the setter Yale. So yeah, uh, Lehigh, Penn. So, and, and none of those schools, a whole bunch of schools I just mentioned, don't have a men's team. You know, no. The only one that did was Vassar, and that that guy, he was in the middle. He played basketball. He's a two sport athlete, so I'm gonna go play basketball. But, but I, I the reason why I was asking is because in this world of politics and and how politicking and and uh, these cliques and these section of good old boys clubs shape how the U.S. national team. Uh, some people how the hell did someone like you how the hell did you slip in <laughs> yeah how the hell it's did you rare. slip in there how it's did you really get in rare. there <laughs> you know and, and, and obviously it helps in recruiting and whenever i coach i'm coaching with some high performance stuff and i mm -hmm. tell these kids like hey this stuff is possible i mean i'm literally the living example of it you know is, is it going to happen to every kid no but it's definitely possible yeah. you know and it, it's exactly like you said i slipped and I, I what i did well is i was just always a great teammate so any team I was on, you know, that was kind of, hey, this kid's, you know, he's all right, but he really is a good teammate. And I got an op an opportunity in 2000. Okay, so I'll take you back to 2000. Um, right right before the U.S. national team, the Olympics in Sydney, they had a, a warm-up tournament for those same teams with a couple of other teams in Italy. Or I'm sorry, it was in France, not Italy. And uh, we are, our Olympic team was beat up. They could not make, the A team could not make that tournament. So they didn't have a B team really. And so what they did is they got a hold of this guy named Tim Kelly um, uh, and a couple of other guys that are new, some people in Europe. And they put together what we ended up calling was the bad news tour. 
like bad news bears because it was just guys literally thrown together at the very last minute to go over and compete against the best teams in the world. And we were just getting, I mean, we were going to get annihilated, you know, it was all guys right out of college. Um, Kyle Robinson was on that team. If you, yeah. you probably know Mike him. Salick, uh, played with Mike Salick at Southampton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. LIU. Great. yeah. Uh, Salick's how, a great guy. How, how small uh, is our world? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. All, I mean, I do, I saw you with the hat and I, I'm yeah. trying to think of some other guys that you might know on that team. Uh, yeah. But we had Chris Seifert, Adam Navy, Brandon Talaferro, some guys that Maybe were Tariq. really know. good in yeah. college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had me who had been over in Italy for two years balling, but nobody knew who I was. Right. So they called me and said, hey, why don't you come over? And then that was my first ever, you know, initiation with USA Volleyball. It was playing against these massive – we were playing against – I mean, I can remember our first match was against Italy. who was two in the world. And, you know, we look over and see Poppy and Faye. I mean, and we're just like all just kind of, okay, well, here we go. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I balled out. I played with, I played fearless. And that's what those coaches noticed. And, they, you know, they obviously reported back to Doug Beal. I got back to Italy to play my second season and then got that phone call I was mentioning about. Yeah. Fair. But uh, it's just it's just kind of being at the right place at the right time. I got really lucky. You know, thank God put me in a path and I, you know, I, I got in the situation and said, okay, well, you're only going to be here once. Give it all you got, you know. Faye's such uh, a good player, man. What's that? Faye, such a good player, man. God, like he middle, was good. You need him to play oppo. I think yeah. like in 2008, I think they had so many injuries. The guy had to play middle and then opposite or whatever. I think they, yeah. their their roster got shortened to like eight people. I think they had like like three or four ridiculous injuries. I'm not sure. Well, and, and they're, they're, the Italian national team is really interesting. They, they all, so they, they don't get along, a lot of those guys, Hell because no, they're, they're constantly competing mm-hmm. for top spots in Italy, right? Because if you have a top national team Italian – that is awesome. You can bring in another foreigner, right? So it's essentially, so all those guys have been competing against each other for years and they don't like each other. So, you know, sometimes they'll put it together. Sometimes they won't. Faye actually played with in Treviso and rented apartment right above him, which was his apartment. He owned the whole building, (laughs) which was really cool. Where was this Um, again? That was in Italy in Treviso. In Treviso. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was because I, I went Teresa. to Tuscany and I thought I saw him. I swear to God, I thought I saw him in Tuscany. I was in Italy. For, sorry, go ahead. I was in Italy yeah, two no, years ago. Yeah, no, I just mean, he, he's just a great guy. He was. Yeah. He played hard. Um, you know, he he could do everything though. I mean, he could hit the ball fast on the right. Mm-hmm. Good blocker. Seemed to, most of the time would stay even kill, but if you talk trash to him, he would get going. Yeah, um, that's like giving Popeye spinach, dude. You, yeah, you, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just sometimes you got to let a sleeping tiger lie, man. I, I mean, very much like the Brazilians, too. The Russians, yeah. you know, Russians get a little fiery, little, shit, you know, shit talkers or whatever. Yeah. New York. Well, if, I was that guy. I was yeah. the trash talker, right? And and I had to be talked down. You know, Hugh really made me not do that yeah. because I think we were playing. I can't, we were playing against a guy named Kaczynski. Does that name sound familiar yeah. to you? Yep. So Kaczynski was, you know, for guys listening, he played for Bulgaria, touched 12 3. One of the most physical outside hitters I'd ever seen and played mm-hmm. against, and he was having an off match against us. We were in World League. We're up two nothing, pretty rolling through the match, and I think I blocked him one on one on the right side, which didn't happen right. We're they were in row one. I happened to block him and said something to him. He goes back and fires off six aces in a row or four aces in a row. Starts hitting balls out of the big, goes to the left side, ends up going five. We win seventeen fifteen, I think. But you know, he ended up with like thirty seven points. Yeah, you and know, your coach I mean, <laughs> was like, "We didn't have to do this the hard way, man." Yeah, we, and so he pulled me aside right after that game. Hugh said, "Look, man, don't ever do that again." Yeah, and he goes, "I'm not kidding." Hugh and I have a great relationship, and he's one of my best friends and mentors. No, but you almost gave him a heart attack, dude. I mean, and he right? said, he's a nervous you know, Nelly. He, he said, "If you do that again, I will take you off the team." 
And I said, okay, point understood. (laughs) And he only said that to me one other time when we got into a little bit of an altercation after a match and same kind of thing, emotions rare hide, you know, as a player, I wore my emotions on his sleeve and he was really good about controlling them. You know, he would always let me get up to the line, but as soon as I crossed it, it was immediately, you know, get back over there. And, uh, man, you talk about a great coach and a person who knows how to frame conversations and articulate his words to get the absolute maximum out of his yeah. players. He's one of the best five coaches I've in for indoor I've ever met, uh, um, uh, oh. uh, encountered in my life. Um, him. Um, there's a guy named Aaron Mansfield who took over for Tom Black. Yeah, at I played LMU. with Aaron, dude. Aaron, I played with Aaron at Foothill College. <laughs> Aaron is a savage. I, I mean, really? as a player too, as a coach, he is a savage. I mean, uh, he took over for LMU. They they beat BYU to get in the NCAA. They beat Duke in three and wound up against Stanford. Little old LMU. And he's doing some really good things out there. Uh, so, and talk about players that do more with less. It's McCutcheon, him. Um, I do like me some Tom Black and and from there, Mario Trebich. Um, Who's that? Mario Trebich um, was the coach of the Netherlands in 92 oh, and 96. Yes. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, and, and you, you probably see him if you if you um, referee some of these games. He's this old Russian guy, cold blue eyes, can't really see shit, but a lot of people don't know that he was on a coaching staff that, that has three silvers and a gold. He was the assistant oh, wow. coach with the women's team in 84. He was the assistant coach for the Soviet Union in 88. He was a coach of the Netherlands in 92, which is where I met him. He ended up being one of my mentors. Um, okay. I was an outside hitter. He told me to set. He's like, I'm six, oh. I'm six one. My wingspan's six eight. So okay. I'm also yeah. left-handed. So he says, find, find uh-huh. someone you like, watch videos of him. Jeff Stork was my guy. Sure. For a year absolutely. and a half. A year and a half I was watching videos of Jeff Stork. Um, and then in 96, they beat Italy. The Netherlands beat Italy, so he was he was with all of those. And it's and it's a small world. You mentioned Carl Robinson, uh, uh, like Mike Salek. How about his kid, Myra Trebich, his kid went to Hunter High School. I ended up coaching his kid <laughs> in New York, on the Upper East Side, New wow. York. So how small is that world? His that's, kids are his kids awesome. are geniuses, by the way. His ki- awesome. If your kid's at Hunter High School, you're brilliant. His other kid was at Bronx Science, which a lot of people know better um, as far as academic schools or whatever. So his kids are geniuses, and they're, they're, they're not volleyball players. No, they, they, they can't play volleyball worth shit. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. But they're like wrestlers. This dude's like, a, um, I don't know, a swimmer. But they've excelled at other sports. But they, they And they know volleyball, right? They grew up, but they don't, they're, they're not good volleyball players. <laughs> I'm going to throw something at you right now. What about Long Island University? What do you think is yes. going to happen there? Um, I don't know. All I know is Long Island University has one in Brooklyn, which I think is going to be okay. Um, That's the one that just went Division One. Yeah. No, they yeah. they they had a Division One women's team for a long time. Uh, men's. I'm sorry. Men on the men's side. Yeah. Uh. Well, good. I say good because the LIU Southampton. Salik and Carl played for that was D2 and they okay. they dropped their campus you know I mean at the same yeah. time East Stroudsburg University got cut Queens College got cut a Concordia which that Concordia is so much better than the one in California because that was an international base really you know, Mario Gonzalez um you know Luis Mendez who, who set for hustle and flow set uh Taylor Sander and, and Taylor Crab and Frankie oh. Valdez so so he, he came out of Concordia or whatever so um but What's tell me more about Long Island University? I'm, I, I think uh, I'm in a dark. Did you not know? So they uh, they just announced about a month ago that they're going they're going to go Division One, um, and I want to say that they're partnering with the Division Three men's program somehow. I'm not sure exactly how it's oh, they working. They just might play EIVA. 
right? They might just do. I, I'm really, I'm really not yeah. sure. So I just kind of reached out to, you know, I'm always interested in what's going on out there and reached out to their athletic director um, a while back to see if they had, had hired anybody, if they're looking or what, what the situation was. And he, he said they were always, they're talking, they have their candidates in mind, but they're always interested in talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I was just curious to see if there's anything, if they've got any traction going, if they're I'm, recruiting. I, think, I didn't know. I, didn't I know think you we owe it to York ourselves. And, we are like, I know Carl Franz got the job of Fairleigh Dickinson. I know that oh. they, they have a men's team. They just introduced a men's team, NCAA Division right. One, right. And right. I thought that was long overdue because, like, yeah. I mean, just recruiting uh, in their own gene pool, man, that, that that section in New Jersey, all the way down to five points, man. They're big on volleyball, uh, beach volleyball more these days than indoor. But I was like, good for Carl because he was Jose's assistant at NYU. He was at Rutgers. Um, he was a hack at um, Mount St. Vincent. I'm, I can't believe I'm teasing him because he wasn't like <laughs> a real coach. He was a player that knew X's and O's. But, gotcha. but sometime after Mount St. Vincent, he became a real coach. But I, w- I really I want to ask him if he knows anything about that yeah so i think you know? that's up to 26 division one and two teams Good. in the nai in the nai where we are we're at yep. 62 yeah which is which is interesting um it's the wild and, wild and west <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting you know it, that's what they do tell me sorry the thing that's great about it is that you know it gives it gives guys that you know might have messed up or just got overlooked or whatever it gives them an opportunity to come back and get kind of a second chance you know and and the guys that I coach right now, we have several guys that are like that, that have really, we actually got a five, eight outside hitter who t- jumps 44 inches. And I mean, he was one of the better players in the league all the way up, you know, through the whole season. Um, but it's a really interesting division as far as how people are eligible. Cause like, I mean, really there's very, it's a very, it's a very difficult to be like ineligible. the age system too, right? The age system, exactly. like my boys yeah, say do, right? Seydou Anjanko, he played for Cal Baptist, but I think he was at, right. park, his park, at park his first year. And Shamzu, like Seydou came in, I think he was listed at 26 years old. I don't, man, I, I know that, that dude's like a fucking lying ass Cuban. I know he had to be older <laughs> than that dude. And, Seydou, and I know Seydou because he was in New York for 10 years. Yeah. If you've ever seen him, um, or his cousin, there's this viral video of his cousin jump serving a ball and then the overpass out of D zone, uh, um, takes the overpass out of D zone and hits it straight down. In Do fact, you know a guy named? Does this name sound familiar? Lionel Marshall. No. Okay, Tell so me. Lionel Marshall was um, a Cuban guy, or he is a Cuban guy. Uh, he he was when I played my first year in Italy. I was twenty one or twenty or twenty one. He was uh-huh. eighteen years old. Okay. Touches twelve foot four, twelve foot five inches at six six. So it is the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. And I got to see it every day in the gym because I practice with him. He would be this high over the net blocking. And I'm not joking. He would literally watch you and then throw his hands where you were hitting the ball. I mean, it was one of the most impressive things that, that I've ever that's, seen as an athlete. That's a good general. place to be, dude. Check so yeah, check out check out this video right be. now. Check out this video. This is the overpass. Okay. This is um Seydou had this on his profile, but I knew it wasn't him because him and Shamzu look alike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Like everyone, everyone just lost their mind. Yeah. So Lionel Marshall used to do that. He would serve, and then if it was an overpass and it was more than five feet, he because he, he could touch twelve five, but yes. he could broad jump fifteen yeah. feet. But so he so got in was, the air fast. He's one of those hitters oh, that got, that, that had it, a quick jump. Yeah, quick jump. I mean, everything about this guy was quick twitch. I mean, yeah. he, but he, the cool thing about him is he could play every position. Literally, he could set. He could play every position. He, he fortunately, I say fortunately, he defect, defected from Cuba when he was 22. 
So this kid at 18 was getting paid a hundred grand to play on my A2 Italian team and taking $1,000 a month home. The Cuban Federation was taking the risk. Oh, so man. yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, so if defect. you wonder why the Cubans defect in the volleyball world, I mean, it's obvious, it's very obvious. Like it was my first encounter with a, a real Cuban player and he had nothing, you know, yeah. I felt so sorry for the guy and he worked hard and he was by far the most athletic person in the, in volleyball. You know what I mean? So he ends up going on and he, he signs with Treviso and he makes a bunch of money Good for him, and he, he did really well for himself. Good for him because Cuba, let me tell you something, that women's team, the three-time yeah. three-time gold medalist, which I think if someone was, wants to make an argument for like best indoor team ever assembled, um, they never look towards the women. And and yeah, if you're just if you're, it, if you're just thinking it from like a, a male or women perspective, I got to give them the rub. But the rumor was in 2000, um, their government reneged on the promissory note that the girls were allowed to pursue contracts in Japan. Japan had a premier league in the late nineties, sure. you know, Marella Luis, you know, Torres Carvajal, like all of those girls were whatever, but they reneged and kept them. So yeah. something strange happened. They lost the first two matches in pool. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then somewhere the rumor was they were promised the contracts again. And then they won the last three to get into the playoffs. <laughs> I had to play the U S the U S actually did good in their pool. And I'm like, really, you got to The U S has yeah. to play Cuba first. Cause Cuba was, was effing around, yeah. you know, and man, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't not. It's good for the country of Cuba to let those girls go play in Japan, play in Italy. I know Italy has a good women's league too. The men is weird. The men is like, uh, like in the nineties, it's Italy. And then, you know, the government cracks them cause it's mob money. Then it's Russia, right? The next 10 leagues, I think Lloyd sure. Ball play, uh, what, what, um, um, pretty played and Stanley played in the, the Russian league. Kazan, right? yeah, the, all and, three now, of those but now, and now it's Italy again, man, but, it, right. but, but Riley, it's mob money. It's like whenever the gigs up, they move the money to another league to, to, yeah. for, for laundering purposes. I hope I live through this podcast or, or after this podcast, but it's, but it's, it's mob money. That's what, that's what's going on. So one of the craziest things that I experienced in my, I experienced so much chaos and interesting stories. And, you know, I used to carpool with Tom Hoff every day to and from the national team. And, and he would say, man, you got a story for everything. You, yeah, I mean, I literally have seen almost everything, but, one of the first times I'd picked, you know, my, my first two contracts weren't for really any good money. And my, my third one was for about 60 grand in Greece. And then I was all, and I was partnered up with Clay Stanley. It was his first contract ever. So we got to play together in Greece and I'm going and we get there and we're settling in and we, we hadn't got paid because they're waiting for this soccer game to pay us in cash. You know, there's a, I played for, you know, that for this massive soccer game that was in our, I'm trying to think of the uh, the team was oh my gosh I can drunk Palk was the name of the team we played for in Thessaloniki, and then they have a massive soccer team and it's you know unbelievable. Anyhow, so he they call us say hey come get your money you know it's like a twenty thousand dollar I'm going to pick up twenty thousand bucks in cash, and it's me and Clay's You're money. Like maybe, tens and twenties you know, in the fucking yeah. suitcase. <laughs> no, so Clay so Clay goes hey pick mine up I go dude I don't want to be driving around with this money you know so anyway I walk in to the soccer room. And there's mounds five feet high of money all across the room. I mean, it is one of the wildest scenes I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe it. Like I, you know, this was before cell phones. You couldn't take, you know, yeah. it's just something in my memory that was just, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and so they gave me 20 grand and I walked out and I was, and I get back and I start telling my wife, she's like, what do you mean? I go, money was lit like four feet in a huge circle around the, around the room. And she's like, well, what are they doing with it? And I'm like, I don't know. I said, it ain't good. No. <laughs> Did anyone at least scream, Riley, 
Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> it was, it, 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 man, there were some interesting times in Europe. I mean, it was really fun, especially early on. I mean, there was just so much culture that we got to experience. And me and my wife have been together since high school. And we got to do that journey together, which was obviously great. Um, get to learn about other people, man. You lived in Europe for a long time. You know, I think that the United States is by far the best country in the world, but it's awesome to learn other people's culture. Yeah, I didn't you know, want to go. See, but I'm glad I yeah. did. Sorry. Go, go yeah. Ahead. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, you know, when I went my first year, my, you know, my dad was, uh, he was in the air force and he served, I want to say seven years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, you'll now understand why the United States is the best country in the world. You know, he, go, he goes, call me in three weeks. <laughs> and sure enough, when I called him and threw, I was like, I get it, <laughs> you know, yeah. I get it. But it was, you know, I, I got to do that on on someone else's dime. I got paid to do it. Yeah, but you gotta you know? love the dude. You gotta love the Air Force, though. I mean, yeah. the, you go to a base on Rhine Mine. They have a, a Red Lobster there. They have beach volleyball courts, bowling alley. You like? Because I when I I lived in Frankfurt. Uh, when yeah. We wanted to find something more acute, or, or just a, 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 a taste of America instead of. Eating, eating this bullshit food to survive. Yeah, we went to yeah. my mind. We went to the we went to the air base, man. The Air Force, man. Gotta love those guys. Sorry. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. My dad, no, my stepdad was awesome. He loved it. Um, talk about. He worked on F-15s, F-4s. He was a mechanic. Okay. Uh, talk, since the time of Pakistan, you know, he's got all these crazy Polaroids, mm -hmm. man. I was just, it's just wild when you start going back through them and looking at it. You know, it's just crazy how time flies. But uh, yeah, the, the career was great, man. I had a great volleyball career. I, I loved getting to see the world. Japan was probably my, Brazil was my favorite place to play. I played their season. Mm. Japan was my favorite place to compete just because they did great tournaments. They treated you well, yeah. ate well. Um, and then obviously I got to say Puerto Rico is my second favorite place. That's where my wife's from. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got your Boricua. Yeah, Boricua. Nice. Cool. Well, for me, I'm mixed parents. My mom's black and my father's uh, Irish and Swedish. I got a little Cherokee Indian. So, anyone I go with was, is a mixed relationship. I got a, I got me, I got me the uh, the Harvard girl, the the outside yeah. the outside hitter and Oppo. So I, oh, good I, for I, you. I lucked out. I lucked out with that one. But hey, good looked. for you. Yeah, mine, mine is a, she's a DS, uh, DS and a setter, and then she played uh, collegiate softball as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a little fireball. Now she's actually doing bodybuilding at 40, 46, and she took second in her first competition. Um, you know, so the way it works in masters, she does masters and the open and you have to do, if you, as an amateur, you have to take first place to get your pro card. Mm -hmm. Well, she took second in both. So she missed it by one. And now she's training and lifting like a beast. I go to the gym. She lifts more than me. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of traveling or I was, I'm not saying I am anymore, but whenever I, I got to travel and see the world, you know, mm -hmm. it was just, it was, it was awesome. You know, and I, the thing that I, I was talking to a couple of young guys today that are out there training our younger guys. And I was talking about the AVP and, you know, some of these guys, you know, they train all year and for three events only, you know, they were a little disappointed. And, I'm, and I was just, I'm trying to flip it on them. Like, you know, guys, Hey, you got to be grateful. This is kind of a weird time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so, so unusual for all of us right now. We don't know what's next. I mean, I think it's great because it kind of shows us and, you know, I'm a 24 hour mm -hmm. a day, a 24 hour a day guy. Um, you know, you don't know what's tomorrow. And I think the pandemic demonstrated that more than anything.
Well, they're going to travel. Anyway. Dude, they're going to go travel. Dude, Atlantic yeah. City, I just said, was a 50K purse, right? I'm going yeah. to Wisconsin this Sunday uh, for, for two weeks because I got a, uh, my family has a house out there, like a whole nuclear family. The last month of, of June, we all get together and you know oh, awesome. they like to play golf. There's beach volleyball courts. Um, so for anyone that's going to Wapaka, Oshkosh, they're looking, they're looking for training. Um, it's two, it's like two and a half hours away, but it'll be worth your trip and you can stay with me for one night. So I'm, I'm going to be training one or two players. But the point I'm trying to make is Wapaka, is 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 a, is a competitive tournament. Uh, Atlantic City is a competitive tournament. The Motherload, right? Uh, that's a competitive tournament. Pottstown Rumble, just to have some fun, play some, you know, manipulate your your, your muscles. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, grass. That's that's yeah. that's old school rules, right? It's side out, big court. You know, they use the old ball. So so don't be sitting here waiting for a three stop tournament. Get 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 out of there. Get on, on money. You're probably not gonna win anyway, right? It's like a ten thousand twenty thousand dollar first prize. That's assuming you finish first. That you. You got to split with your partner. Pray to God you have sponsors that pay for every, your coaches and everything yeah. else. You know, but entrepreneur themselves. This kid, Evan Corey, was just talking about. Yeah. Talk about a kid that's betting on himself and winning. Yeah. He has a, 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 a an apparel, a clothing and hat, a hat and apparel on called Blue Nose Absolutely. Athletics. Because he, he, this whole uh, sunscreen on his nose. The kid, yeah. I mean, get out. Yo, beat. Everyone should be like, want to be like Evan, you know, uh, you know, or Miles. But what's well, interesting, I'm okay. just looking at my shirt and uh, Reed Pretty was really good. So this is Reed Pretty's company in San. That's what he does now. And uh, he he was really great at marketing himself. And mm -hmm. and he still is. He's still really good at it. But yeah, just like you just said, these young kids got to get out of Southern California. They got to do some other things. And when I see them on Friday, I'm going to actually suggest that exact same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I was just listening to him. I don't know him that well, yeah. but I think well, that that's... I'm, well, I'm calling Atlantic City, so I'm going anyway. I'm calling. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm, no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, that's what I did. My mm -hmm. my first couple of years, I was really fortunate. I had this guy named Randy Metter. We mm -hmm. call him the godfather in Houston. And he taught me how to play professional ball. You know, he took me to all these little tournaments around the country. You know, we went, we did 25 stops, you know. I don't know where, I mean, we were playing everywhere, just every weekend going around playing and you know, he had his own schedule that he could make because he was working for a bank, you know, and then he ends up going off and really killing it in real estate and opening up a couple sandbars in Houston. And, but I was really grateful because, you know, I didn't know about pro playing pro, sandbars you know, how do you awesome, do it? Dude. You know, how do you do it? What do you do? And the guy was 31. I was 18, you know, or 17 even maybe and teaching me a lot like kind of what Evan's doing right now. Obviously we didn't have Instagram and all that stuff on how to market it ourselves, but you know how to handle yourself like a professional. You know, try to not kill yourself when you win. Don't go out and party so hard that you're yes. not going to be able and to train the next day. The you know? guy he live streamed every he live streams every semis and finals. Which, by the yeah. way, as far as being at the scene of the crime, he's always there. <laughs> he's always yeah. every weekend. I, I look I look on my Facebook thing and I see a live stream and it's him beating or losing to someone in the semis or finals too. So I, I think that's him. terrific. Good don't for be him. don't be out there acting like everyone's supposed to come to you, man. That's honestly that's the. The lack of inclusiveness that that's a generational thing for beach volleyball has been big, has been one of the big inhibitors. No one wants to talk about it because they're scared of getting canceled. But as yeah. far as having the right guy to talk about it, you, I think we you've seen enough of my podcast to know. Right. I'm not. I'm not, right. I'm well, not. No I'm reason. not. I'm not this way because I'm on the mic. I'm on the mic because I'm this way. You yeah, know? But, right. And there's no but, reason to shy away from yeah. it. I think it's exactly right, though. I mean, you know, the, no one wants to talk about it because they don't want to get axed from the AVP. They don't want to get that email yeah. saying you can't play mm -hmm. in our three events. You know, yep. hey man, get out there and market yourself. Go to Wapaka. I was, I, if I was young, I'd be doing it. I'd love it. Mm -hmm. You know, I love doing that stuff. Traveling around, playing with your friends. You know, with the, and playing at a high level, especially. Yeah. Don't forget about that. Those tournaments are incredibly 
competitive. Jeff, you know? and then, yeah, but Jeff Conover gave me the go-ahead. Jeff Conover, I talked to him in New York. He says, I don't mind criticism as long as it's fair. And I said, yeah. and I said, what did you say? Did you say as long as it was fair, right? That's that's the deal? And he's like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, cool. So so right. I, there's nothing I'm going to say that's unfair. Sometimes I got to I gotta apologize. Like like for Mark Farnakari, he, he was arguing with a referee. And I, I was like, he's drink, this dude's drinking. This dude's obviously drunk. And, you know, that was out of the scope of someone's skill set. So that was like a yeah. personal thing. And, he, and if someone, you know, finds that hurtful, then, yeah, they, they come see me. Yeah, we'll, sure. uh, we'll talk about it. I, I apologize. Clay's and yeah. Sponsor, I've been one of their biggest critics because like in my mind, like watch that's years and years of coaching dictate like I know something when I see it. And it didn't look like that they thought that they can win if they made it to the Olympics. But I owe them an apology now because as the <laughs> well, facts they, change, they so does my opinion. You know, I yeah. mean, dude, it's like this killer instinct that you there's that's that you you know them when you see them betsy flint or misty may yeah right that kind of person that says that has that look like if you serve me i'm gonna fuck you up yeah uh, mentally yeah. mentally psychologically you're not gonna be the same all be all because you 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 chose me to serve you know and i and i didn't see that with with sponsor uh the yeah. last couple of years i just, i don't i don't see that with sarah hughes i don't see that with brooke sweat who was kerry's partner who i thought honestly i thought if kerry played with betsy no disrespect to brooke she played with Betsy. That would have been a wrap. We wouldn't be having these conversations about Carrie retiring and all that stuff. It wouldn't. It, you know, there's a reason why people don't serve Betsy, and it's not because she's a shitty setter. All right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So that's. I really like the the the. I don't know, not authorization, but like the go ahead I got from Jeff, who's the director, like, you know, that's not like that. We're not trying to chop off heads about anyone that has something bad to say about the AVP. Um, and also, I'm not, I don't take 19 things the AVP does right and one thing wrong and only talk about the one wrong thing, which by the yeah. way is in our human nature too, right? Straw, sure. straw man fallacies is, is the human beings, is the human <laughs> beings paradise. It really is, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Wait, wait, you, you know, got you 19 just... out of 20 kills? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, tell me what happened, Riley. Yeah, yeah, you suck, you know? <laughs> so, right, I, I suck, 19 yeah. out of 20. So, so um, but before we move on to volleyball, we talked about, like good wives or whatever good good good, good women or that player that support our our like our bottom line and our brand um this is for young people because it's related and i wanted to jump there and then and I'm, then we go back to this if you are lucky enough because this is a man-driven show young men listen to me listen to this man if you are lucky enough to have a woman that lets you do whatever you want to do and only asks you to do one or two things <laughs> Do the one or two things, man. Just do the one or two things, man. Happy wife, happy life, man. Just do the one, you're right? She wants to go on a trip. Are we there yet? <laughs> okay, because my wife my wife likes to travel more than anything in this world. Me, me, very much like you, I'm a house cat. Now, I've done all the traveling uh, the, the last two <laughs> lifetimes. But if she want to go, we going to go. <laughs> you know, so Absolutely. for all your young cats out there are looking for that special someone, oh, I'm having a hard time finding where, 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 where. No, just... She's not a drama queen. She ain't pressing you and only asks you to do these couple of things, man. Don't, you, then you've already chose, if you don't do those couple of things, you've already chose the kind of woman that you're going to wind up with. You're going to wind up with a drama queen. That's not even going to let you sleep till nine in the morning. And now I'm done. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had to get that part of my life. Go ahead. 
It's a rabbit. No, great, man. You know, it's interesting because I had a wife that was, or my, she was my fiance, obviously before mm-hmm. she said, you know, we had one chance when I got the call to go to Europe. It was like, Hey, you're going to go or not. And you know, oh. I said, Hey, what do you think? She goes, if you don't oh. go, you'll regret this for the rest of your life. Oh. And you know, so went over there and obviously the rest is history. And we've, uh, we've been together and obviously like do the, I'm going to agree with you though, do the two or three things that they ask you to do. It's not yeah. that hard. My family just came out to California for, they were here Thursday through Monday and my son and ne- my kids have never seen the ocean, you know, the, the Pacific. So, you know, we went out to the beach, hung out all day. It was unbelievable. My it's son terrifying. did not get out of the water, which was crazy. Cause I mean, I was in the water and it was freezing, Yeah, but he wouldn't get out of it. So it, we had a great time. You know, they left, it was cool, Yeah, but happy wife, happy life. Absolutely. And the water feels like baptism. Sometimes you get in that water, right? And you, but when you get out, you feel like you could kick anybody's ass. It's it's almost like you were baptized. The only thing we're missing is some kind of evangelical minister yanking them by the head, talking about heal this boy, man. Cause that's when I got into that ocean, First of all, looking at it for the first time, was it, it reminded me how small and insignificant I am. It's huge. It's like yeah. it can swallow you up, and, it, and I mean nothing after I see this thing. But when I got in, first of all, when I got in, my picture, my wife took a picture of uh, um, it going on my toes, and I just went, I, like, it's this weird picture, just like the very first picture. But like your son, I'll bet you if you said it felt like baptism, he'd be like, oh, he'll co-sign on that. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, he would not get out of the water. It was the most one of the coolest things I'd seen, you know, as a parent. It's just like him just out there having a good time by himself, mm-hmm. lo- taught himself how to body surf, yep. you know, just pretty cool things. Uh, so listen, let's take a shift because I don't know when we have to go. We're both, I mean, your time is exceptionally valuable. Mine is too. Um, I, I'd like to ask an uncomfortable question, but I think us talking about it might be useful to some people who might be battling similar things. You, Please. you've had an uh, opioid um, addiction and and alcoholism, and and people are playful about the term alcoholism, and but you know you don't really know what it is until you're an actual alcoholic. All right, you're not. I mean, I look at some of my people. I'm like, no, you're not. An, you're a drunk. Okay, <laughs> alcoholics go to meetings. You're just a fucking drunk. All right, so. Um, <laughs> How did the opioid start? Did did it start because of pain management, uh, uh, just yeah. the grind of indoor? To, um... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, this is one of the best things that I love to talk about. You know, and if anybody out there is is listening right now and you're suffering, I get it. I understand. If you need to talk, I can get you my number somehow. Um, but yeah, the, you know, it started just I had a couple of issues: tore my rotator cuff, tore meniscus. You know, got some hydrocoding, and that was you know take as prescribed, and I did for a long time. Um, I would take them for a month, get off of them, just like you're supposed to, you know, go on about my business and didn't think twice about it. And then after we won the Olympics in 08, it just uh, became an everyday thing. You know, it was, it was actually into the Olympics, the same thing, take as prescripted. Um, and which is interesting. It's a, it's a narcotic, but it's not banned right from the Olympics. As long as you're telling them that you're taking yeah, it, it's legal. I have a is, I mean, just, yeah, fuck. it's strange, but th- yeah. that was the rule. So, you know, taking as prescribed, um, no issues. You know, my trainer, my athletic trainer always was on me. Hey dude, be careful. My doctors would call me personally, you know, cause I had great relationships with them. Hey man, that, you know, I noticed you've taken two months in a row. We need to, we need to cut this off. Right. And, and I always did. And then for some reason in 08, I think I'd cross that invisible line of needing to take them instead of wanting to take them. And it just, it, it started, I can't tell you how bad it got, but if you are an alcoholic or a drug addict and you're in recovery, you know how bad it got. 
but I literally couldn't go to sleep without drinking. You know, every day I was drinking over a fifth of vodka along with about 15 pain pills. And it was an absolute battle. Um, you know, my, my wife would watch and, you know, I would hide a lot of it. You know, she would know that some of it was on because obviously I wasn't talking correctly, slurring and doing all, a lot of things. And we ended up going, you know, my uh, our athletic trainer got me into an, um, a treatment facility, you know, after two years of really trying to stop, but I couldn't. Um, you know, I'd say I was stopping. I really meant it, and I just couldn't do it. And so went into some treatment centers and learned a lot about that being a disease and, you know, a lot of 12-step stuff that I do and things of that nature. But, you know, to the, the point of not being able to stop drinking, it was, it was, it was baffling to me because I literally have done everything in my mind athletically that I set my mind to. And when I said I'm going to stop or I'm going to push harder, I was always able to do that. And it was the one thing I couldn't do on my own, on my own. I couldn't. And, um, you know, it, it helped going and finding people that were just like me that struggled with this. And at first, obviously I was a little bit nervous because I thought it was all about me and people were going to care what, you know, what I would, you know, I was supposed to be this great volleyball player. And I thought that that defined me and, and the realization was, man, I'm a human being and I've struggled and I needed help. And I got it and I got great people have helped me out. And, you know, it's uh, going on three years now that, that I've been clean and sober and I, I thank God every morning, you know, because I, I found God through this process, not a Bible beater, but I definitely found a spiritual power out there. I mean, I overdosed twice, which a lot of people do not know. Um, I was resuscitated, not resuscitated. I, I never lost consciousness, um, but I was going, I was going into, I was losing consciousness in the, in the ambulance and they, you know, shot me full of some stuff that brought me right back. Um, you know, there was a time in my life where I didn't want to wake up, which is, Again, if anybody out there knows how that feels, it's a, an extremely lonely place because you really don't want to wake up, and I get it. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I had some really close people to me. My, you know, my family, my mom and my, even my ex-wife, because she had divorced me, still was checking on me and, you know, kept me in their prayers. And, you know, I know that that's what got me through the, the rough years. It was probably four to five years that were really bad after the Olymp after our, after 2012. It got really bad around 2011 and then continued to about 2016. And then through 17, I started recovering and then 18 really started putting all these principles in play in my life. Um, but you know, it's, it's a real deal. And what I've really learned is I get to, I, I see young people that might have some tendencies and especially if I'm coaching them, you know, I tell my story a lot. So I know if anybody ever has an issue, I talked to a couple of guys at the beach today um, about some of their family members. So it was fantastic to, to at least give them a, you know, some source of information, you know, just kind of understand how the disease works. And, you know, once it's in an addict or alcoholic's body, we really lose the power of choice, which that sounds so silly to say out loud, because, you know, how can you not choose to drink? Well, because you're going to get violently ill if you're not drinking, you know, or if your body's accustomed to that. And it's, it's an illness that's way worse than any flu or anything I've ever encountered. Being dope sick was one of the worst things that had ever happened to me. Um, well, and you would think after doing it one time, you would get sober, but <laughs> it took uh, several years. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, look, how much does um, feeling like you're alone in this situation come into play as far as not wanting to seek help? Alive? Yeah, you, th you, know, you think that you're the only one that has felt like this and that people will not understand you and that no one else could possibly feel this bad, you know, because I mean, if you, like when I was attempting to kill myself. I mean, I didn't think that anybody could feel like I felt. 
And it turns out there's a whole community out there that felt like I felt, you know, every day. And, you know, when I reached out and I started getting that support, you know, like I would start a sentence and the guy would finish it across from me, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, it's, it's just like talking volleyball. You know, you're really, you know, if you're into the lingo and you understand out, you know, out of system and whatever, you know, talking alcoholic and drugs and like how you felt, it just starts to go really hand in hand with each other. So I found a guy who, uh, actually California guy that just, uh, he had about, he has now, I think 10 years and kind of took me under my, his wing and just, uh, helped me out a lot, you know, just, Hey, did I get it? And really nursed me back to health mentally and physically. So I think the important thing to think here is that like, once you know that there's somebody who's really, really successful, that's an alcoholic. It's inspirational because some people consider alcoholism, which is being a loser. This guy's down in his luck. You know, he lost his job and, and drinking happened and this and that. And that's not, that's not always the case, right? It's, it's like, look at you. You're an Olympic gold medalist, right? You're a pretty good contract, uh, you know, bossing it in Italy, playing, you know, you played in the Brazilian team for a little bit with, um, God, who the hell are those guys? Um, I forget, Andre and Andre, <laughs> right? I think you played with Andre and Andre, yeah. right? So, yep. so I like your story because it didn't come from a, uh, a place, like the people who are afraid to come out, they, they, they feel like, that people will think of them as a loser, right? Yeah. And they also think that that this is not everybody's problem. It's a singular problem, which we just aforementioned. This is like um, this is like a a, 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 a kind of like a one-off thing. And I think the reason why I asked this, and the reason why I'm glad you're, you're telling your story, because there are so many people out there that they don't come forward because they do feel alone. They're they're embarrassed. They're ashamed. Uh, um, by I don't know. I mean, we can we can speak ad nauseum to the cause that leads to the shame and the embarrassment. But I think for the individual people, they have their own story, you know? But, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I was mm -hmm. just strictly, I, I felt that I was bigger than I was, mm -hmm. you know, and what I really, what really got me was thinking how my teammates were going to, my old teammates were going to perceive this, you know? And what, what came to be was dude, when I would go and talk to them, they're just mm -hmm. would give me a big hug and say, Hey man, I'm so glad that you're okay. Yeah. No, and that was I it. You, I bet your Ryan it. Millar was there. I bet, right? Yeah. I bet I mean, your Millar that was, was there. It. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the, you know, there was no like, oh man, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you lost all your money. I can't believe you pawned your gold medal. I can't believe you did all, you know, none of that. All of it was made up in my head. A lot of it was the real, the realization is they just wanted me to be healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that I learned so much from that. It's like, dude, just wake up and be a good human being and good things are going to happen. Yeah. Good things are going to happen to you. You know, it's just... It's the way of life. The way it goes, yeah, it might not always be great, but it's going to be, I'll tell you what, I was homeless for eight months, you know, and that was hard. Yeah. They're doing my was... life. Someone's doing my life story. It's going to come out in two weeks. Eight, eight months, <laughs> same thing. Not that this is a competition or anything. No, sure. Eight oh, months it's... sleeping on trains. Yeah, yeah. it's wild, dude. Me. I mean, same it was, uh, I didn't know where I would sleep. I had a car, which was wild because I could, I was always drunk, so I couldn't be driving it, but I would drive it just enough to get to like, you know, somewhere to sleep, you yeah, know, and then uh, it was supposed to be repoed because I was so far behind on the payments. My mom wouldn't let me at her house. My dad said, no way. Yeah. You know, my wife, of course, didn't want me around the kids. And so, you know, I did that for six to eight months and it was, it was so brutal, you know, and then just looking back that the, the real alcoholic and the real addict, the only thought is getting higher drunk. That's it. You know, yeah. you're not thinking about anything else, which is so, it's so hard to explain to people because really that's all i would think about and then when that was done it would be like okay when am i doing it again 
And that's what control, it's, a, you know, it's an obsession of your mind, right? That's what we call it. It's an obsession of your mind and it just, it won't go away. And, you know, the way that it does go away is you, is you pray and it's weird and you have to ask for someone else's help because you can't do it yourself. You can't remove it yourself. You know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I was strong enough and I just did it by myself. Well, you might not have been a real alcoholic because every, I mean, every person has really had it. You, you need help. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, and it took me forever to ask. And I, I really wish I could go back and shake myself and be like, dude, it's not, it's a big deal. Yes, it is. But you need to get over yourself Yeah. and do the right thing. You know, you need to do the right thing for your family. Cause I missed out on probably four or five years with my kids. Right. Um, just either not memorying or in and out of treatment centers, um, you know, doing, I, I'm grateful I didn't die. I mean, really am because the stuff that I was doing causes, you know, when the, they pick me up off my floor and put me in the ambulance, the one, the nurse, her, her, her sister was in recovery. She gave me the shot and she said, and as I was coming to, and obviously not going to go into cardiac arrest, we started talking and, you know, she said, look, I, I'm not trying to scare you here. But last night we picked up someone who died with half of what you have in your system right now, <laughs> you know? And I yeah. mean, and I just started crying, you know, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, fortunately a lot of people pulling me in the right direction and I finally listened, you know, it's like, dude, it's not about you, man. It's okay. Whatever it is you're going through, it's okay. Whatever it is, there's nothing that, you know, I used to think that I would tell my mentors and sponsors that something that I did was going to make me look awful. Right. Yeah. They're like, dude, we did that too. You know, yep. it's okay. <laughs> I've you always know. noticed okay. that, that the, the, the embarrassment and shame part is also, but you, 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 you uh, leapt into something more, uh, very significant too. There's also a tough enough factor. Like there are a type of, this is a type of person. Yeah. Um, if they have a cold, no one's going to know. Right. If, if they dislocated their finger, you know, and, and it went back and, and they were whatever. No, no. Right. No harm, no foul. Like yeah. you strike me as a type of person. And, and again, I'm not a competition or anything, but I, I grew up this type of person where um, my parents are like, you, you've, you've, you've had what for how many days? How come yeah. you didn't tell me? You know, it's just like one of those things where I guess you feel like there's look, there's an embarrassment factor, but there's another category called that I'm tough enough thing and, and I'm macho and that I, is I, I got that you know, could, was, that could I, have led to your this. death that could yeah. have led to your death Riley yeah that yeah, could, right. yeah and let me say something someone doesn't have to be deeply religious to know that the power of prayer is a yeah. real fucking thing my man yeah. the power I I'm, I I well I grew up highly religious person I'm, I'm not a highly religious person but I still I still know who my God is you know yeah. and I still we, we still talk all the time so <laughs> um and I and there is nothing like the the power of prayer like this this whole spiritual thing that just makes it okay to to be yourself and this and that yeah so, right yeah yeah but I, and I started i started hanging out with these guys that were you know they were older guys and successful but they had been clean for some time and they looked happy right yeah. and they you know we'd go to meetings and they would be joking and it was just the it was surreal to me i was like oh my god i've lost everything in life how am i ever gonna laugh again mm -hmm. right and they're like, dude, we did that three times. It's okay, man. Just get, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, yeah. as long as you don't drink or use a drug, you're going to be okay. And I, you're, you're in also in a unique situation where I think that two things that help you over one and stop me at any time I'm wrong, just say wrong. Um, <laughs> one, you've already did something that no one can take away. 
All right. You can hawk your gold medal, but you're still a gold medalist. All right. You can you sure. can you can melt it and make it into nice little fucking ribbons for your wife or for uh, <laughs> for Valentine's Day or whatever. Put cho- yeah. put dark chocolate in it. Right. Have a good time. Right. Um, but the second thing is I don't I don't know how long this happened post Olympics and post your pro career. You re- when you realize that it doesn't define who you are, it's the most liberating. It's a backpack, a 90 pound rucksack. Yeah, I'll speak my language. That you yeah, don't I love have to that carry, language. <laughs> that you I yeah, because ba- boot camp you have to do a fifteen mile road march with a ninety pound rucksack and then twenty five, you know. Oh. But I was 200, 200 pounds and I'm from New York, so I'm used to walking. So for me, yeah. I'm like, let's go. It's the only thing I was good at. But it's the most liberating feeling in the world to say, hey, I did this, and it. But at the same time, it it doesn't define me as a collective whole. Yeah. And I know how you feel because, look, I, I moved here from New York. I had to pay dues all over again. At some point, I want to do the AVP in Manhattan Beach. I want to commentate and this and that. And I think I'm building yeah. I'm building my brand towards that. And then I'm like, shit, what if they say no, you know, and this and that. But once and this happened like two, three years ago, once two years ago before the pandemic, once I realized that me being on that center court doesn't define me as a collective whole, there are other things it's so weird. Like if it comes to me, of course I'm I'm gonna be happy. I'm not gonna run away right. from. Not, I'm not gonna tell sure. the AV, not gonna tell the AVP uh, goal series to fuck off. You yeah, know? Sure. Um, right. <laughs> but but it's liberating. It's and if you watch MMA like like I do, Dominic Cruz said the same thing. Like he was injured, only had like one fight in like three years, and then when he decided, wait, getting the belt back, I'm good. If I don't get the belt back, I'm I'm all right. I'm good. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. So. How much? How much am I? Am, 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 is that wrong? No, you're, right? you're right on. I mean, and, and okay. it even leans into today. I go out to play with these guys, and I mean, I'm I'm out there. You know, we do like a little huddle before because we got a guy organizing practice, and it's a and it's a it's a practice session essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they announce that I'm there, and I, you know, we got another gold medalist, Dave Lee's there, and then they announce me. And at that time, you know, but I can't play beach right now. I mean, I'm out of shape. I'm slow. I'm not good. But you got to get out, and you got to get your feet wet, right? You got to start somewhere. So. I said, man, you just got to get out and be vulnerable again. It's okay to be vulnerable, you know, show yourself, you know, even if I don't side out, no one's going to think that I'm a shitty person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just not good at volleyball right now. You know, that's as simple as I can make it. But circling back when I moved to Texas, when I was in the middle of my addiction, and I remember this conversation great with them. I was going into some business ventures with a partner and she had two girls that played volleyball, but they were smaller barrels and they weren't getting looked at in college and they were really getting their feelings hurt because all of their friends were going to college. They weren't getting letters. And she goes, Riley, hey, I need you to come over and talk to my girls. And I said, okay, well, let's do our meeting and then I'll talk to them after. And she goes, I want you to tell them how volleyball does not define them as a human being. And I couldn't talk. I couldn't say anything on the matter because I really felt, I was like, what is she talking about? What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right, you know? And so, I mean, I, I can remember the conversation and I ended up saying something, but I remember getting in my car going, oh my God. You know, and I mean, I'm, I was battling a lot of demons at that time, but it was really, you know, that's what I really thought my my life was defined as, as a great volleyball guy. And but it's not, you know, what it is, is helping people. That's what I'm really good at. And that's what I'll continue to do. And I know God has me on this journey to do that stuff. You know, it's yeah. it, there's no there's no accidents here. You know, I, I'm really grateful for the chances I've had. Um, I, I've taken the hard road, <laughs> you know, to get here. But uh, like you said, I paid my dues, man. I mean, I paid my dues and. I'm always willing to help people. Like they want help, you know, I really will help you. You know, I really will. Volleyball, life, whatever it comes down to. Paid in full, Riley. 
Absolutely. Me, I pissed off the volleyball gods. I still, I think I still got some settling up to do with them, but I think I'm, I'm I'm almost there. But I'm glad that you told the story about the little girls because I think in order for us to remain a world power for volleyball, we have to start paying attention more to skill set than lining these kids up against the wall and looking for the bigger ones and telling them that you yeah. forget about that. You're five nine outside hitter. Nope. Save save yourself all the time. You, you just be a libero, whatever, and this and that. And yeah. something I, as a club coach, I was with Endless Summer for five years. Uh, Duran's coach for beach volleyball national events. I was her skill coach. I was um, an indoor, you know. Um, just on the juniors level, not on adults, but on, on juniors level, evolution, you know, out of kids out of Redondo, Duncan yep. Avery's the program sure. director there. Um, I never point at a kid and tell them that you can't do something. Like if there's a kid that wants to be an outside hitter and he's five nine, I will tell him, look, that's you know, people that are that play that position at the highest level, they're gonna be they're bigger than you. But if you wanna do this, if you're serious about this, do this do this and do this. That's what I think. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything, but that's what I think every coach should do. Don't tell a kid you, that you can't do something. Just give, get a real talk them. Say, hey, look, this is a big man's game. It's a big man's position. But something I noticed is that when the best player in the world, the voting comes, it's a, it's always the 6'2 guy, right? It's not the six, it's not the mythological creature, right? It's like yeah. like Taylor Sanders, like 6'3, right? Karch Karai graciously listed at 6'2. Uh, uh, you, team captain, uh, whatever. I think you're 6'1 when you're not hunching. So, yeah. so um, because I know that's me. I'm 6'1 when yeah. I'm not hunching. So, you, if anyone can be a shining example, and, and I'm bringing it back full circle, Kanye West, guy, right? It doesn't make any sense, but it will. But it will. <laughs> the reason why I brought this up is because you're six one, and because you should be a shining example to to people who, not little people everywhere, but to people where a coach might have told them when they were 12 years old or whatever, no, you can't do that. No, you're not that. You're you're gonna be this. You're that. It's like how fucking dare these people? How fucking dare these these coaches tell tell someone yeah. that's not even not even grown literally as well as psychologically to tell these kids that they can't do something? Don't you? No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Look, when, if I'm in theater school. And by the time my sophomore year is up and my professor says, look, you might want to change your major. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll give that some consideration. Or if I'm truly driven, I'll ignore him sure. and take my chances. Right. As an adult. Right. So uh, man, Marymount was Marymount Manhattan was, whew, but that, that's, a, that's my story, not yours. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, that was the time of my life and the most trying time of my life. I come back 33 years old as a returning adult student. I get into the second rank program in the country. And second year, I'm struggling. I'm struggling because they're, they're trying to tear down and build up a 33-year-old. So, but, yeah. but, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you had a lot of obstacles to climb. Well, and like you said, man, I'm the exact same way. A 14-year-old boy comes and says to me, hey, I want to play outside, but I'm 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, and I might not grow or whatever it is. You know, yeah. um, you know I, I had a lot of people tell me I wasn't going to succeed. Not maybe they didn't tell me, you know, but nobody recruited me. You know, mm-hmm. no Nobody came to my house and watched me play or, or to my gyms or whatever. Um, but being undersized gave me, I knew that I had to do other things better. I had to be more competitive than anybody else. Um, I had to be a great teammate. And I do the same thing when kids approach me, especially it, it, a lot of kids I recruited in the AI are a little bit undersized and, you know, they want to go and play pro. That's what they come to me to say. That's a recruiting tool that I use. Hey, I'm the, be- I'm the best in AI coach in the, in the nation. I feel come to our program. We have a fantastic arena. 
and then I'll, I can get you in touch with people to play professional volleyball. Well, I'm only 5'11", but I really want to do it. What does it take? And then that's when we start to talk about it. What, and a lot of times when I get through the conversation, some of them don't want to do it. You know, there's been a couple of guys like, okay, well, we'll talk about that next year. <laughs> you know, because I mean, when I talk to real, when I talk real talk with guys about playing professionally, it is a real conversation. It's not, hey, let's train and do, hey, here's what has to happen. You have to do A, B, C, D, E, F in a row, you know, get noticed by the right guy, go over there, have a good, a good tryout or whatever it is, then sign a contract, then perform for eight months. You know, and it's it's trying, and I really do. We have a couple of guys that play for me at, at Jamestown that are a little bit older. There are some high flyers that are really good that want to go do that, and I think they'll have a they'll have the opportunity for sure. Good. You know, because I think they're just talented enough, and they they're really driven to go live in Europe, uh, which is another thing. As you know, I mean, people want to go do it, and they get over there and they come back halfway through the first year and never go back. You know, yeah. I saw that so many years. <laughs> yeah. But I think to any young coach, especially to coaches. I can't, I don't, I'm not going to say I can't stand, but I don't really understand where a coach could ever say, Hey, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think why not just pull them aside and say, look, Hey, I think, yeah, that's a great position. You know, if you really, here's what you got to do, kid. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, let them make their own decisions. I'll say it for you. I can't stand it. I can't stand yeah. coaches like that. I, I yeah. carry the water on this one. I can't stand coaches like that. I, I mean, well, they shouldn't be allowed to coach. No, though. that's my point. No, I mean, that's what I say. It's like, dude, you can't, you know, I, I, I did a, a camp for, I, I did a high performance camp. I, I was there, I hosted it in Chicago mm-hmm. and we had a good group of coaches. And then we started, I heard some of them started saying, Hey, this, they were already judging these players before they took the floor. And I said, look, I don't care how many of these you've done. We're not going to do that today. Okay. We're going to walk around and we're going to evaluate. Just get, if you don't like them, then circle their one, you know, sir, give them a one, but we're not just going to start because they want to start voting. Cause they'd seen these kids already, you know? And I'm like, look, guys, these kids each deserve a look. Just go and watch them. And, you know, some of them like that, like the idea of being passionate about it. And then others are like, oh, who's this guy coming in and trying to change the way we do things? You know, I'm like, man, there is a kid that you have missed. I promise, you know, because I was that kid. <laughs> yeah. I know it. I get it. And I, I make sure when I'm in the gym, you know, I'll, I'll spend a little more time even than I should sometimes. I should be moving on, you know, but. You know, you're gonna Sometimes find you can't help it. There. Sometimes you can't help it, right? You see someone, yeah. you're, you're you're locked in as a coach, yeah. right? Your hooks <laughs> are in, and 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 you're trying to work. Um, do you know Brian McDermott, Chicago oh, Pro- Progression Beach Volleyball? Because I, I, feel, I no. feel like I'm having the exact same conversation. If you wind up in Chicago, he's okay. basically the guy that showed the Department of Health in Illinois how how safe. Because the Department of Health thinks volleyball, they think indoor sixes. And he, yeah. he was in constant communication with them. So they finally authorized um, indoor uh, beach, warehouse style, whatever. Oh, great. And yeah. it even made right. national Fantastic. news. Uh, uh, he's, yeah. he's the founder of Progression Beach Volleyball. And, he, and, okay. and if you're ever in Chicago, you ever want to uh, talk shop or actually just share ideas and maybe even do a camp together, he, yeah. he would, the two of you, man, the two of you would hit it off. I, sw- I okay. swear to you. He was, he's a repeat offender. He's been on the show four times. He's this guy. <laughs> he was this guy that was like five foot six with like size 12, 13 shoes that yeah. played no. D3 at Newberry uh, uh, College in Massachusetts, made the neck of a finals, you know, as like a low seed. Uh, they, yeah. they, 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 they just came out of nowhere. So, but he lives. Well, his, I'll tell you this, this yeah. kid that plays for me. Okay. His name is Kaylor Cox. Okay. You got to YouTube him. I'll send it afterwards. I'll send you his name. He's yeah. five nine, and he jumps forty four inches, and he is one of the best volleyball players I've ever coached. And I've coached a lot of young players. 
Um, but he is incredible. So he, he texts me, you know, recruiting. A lot of schools wouldn't let him play for How do you spell his name? Kaylor, C-A-Y-L-O-R Cox, C-O-X. C-A-Y. He, he does some really cool stuff on YouTube, too. I'm at and, C-A-Y. Um, sorry, C-A-Y. Say it again. L-O-R. Okay, Kaylor Cox. Cox, C-O-X. Got you. Out of Montana. I'm somewhere in Montana. YouTubing right now. And nice. he... Um, you know, he, when I was recruiting, he sent me a, he knows Barker really well. So this is where I'm going with the story. His dad, you might know his dad. Um, his dad is Trevor's Cox. Okay. He, pl- he played with James a lot on um, one of their, I, th- I can't remember the name, uh, Nemesis, I want to say maybe out of San Antonio. Um, anyhow, they know each other. So James sent me the video of this kid and I said, dude, he's playing on a woman's net. Cause that's what it looked like, you know? And he's like, no, he's not, man. He's the yeah, real, you know, so anyhow, he sends me and I, and he sends me the tape. We give him an, an offer, a scholarship. He accepts it immediately. Um, you know, like within literally I send it and within 10 minutes, I've got the sign signature and everything. So I'll be in Dallas at nationals, come watch me play. And, and this is right before COVID hit. I said, okay, I'll be there. So I go and I'm like, cause he says he's six. I think he listed himself at five eleven. You know, and I said, okay, and I go in there and he comes up, he's right next to me and he's no shit, five, seven, five, eight, maybe, but just balling, dude. I mean, literally 44 inches, but more than anything, he has the IQ of a professional volleyball player. He can think of things that are going to happen before they happen, reacts well, very little coaching on his end, you know, that I have to do with him. Um, great leader on the floor, hits the big really fast. You know, oh, we cool. we're, we're that's one of the things that I'm really trying to, you know, when I, again, his dad came and coached for me this year because we didn't have an assistant due to COVID. So if anything happened to me, we were screwed. So they said, Hey, can you get someone on short notice? And I got him. And so he comes up and uh, <laughs> we're running basically the USA offensive system, which is gap, go fast, big grind and yeah. a deep, a red ball. And we're running it fast, you know, and he, he comes in and he says he, he hasn't slept all night. First of all, like he's super nervous, very inter. I mean, he's a great volleyball mind. And he goes, I don't know if I can have this conversation with you. I go, man, come on. What's up? I go, yeah. is your family. Okay. I go, your family. Okay. We don't know each other, by the way, we've only met each other twice and he's been on the job one week. So, you know, he doesn't know me very well. He thinks I might take offense to what he's going to say. And he goes, I just don't think we have the personnel to run that offense. We, it's not going to work. And I said, okay, I, I appreciate that. Let's see. Let's give it another two weeks and see what happens. And sure enough, man, these kids just buy into it and they're hitting quicks from the back row. I mean, we're running 31s faster than anyone in the league and our go is a good tempo. Um, you know, and anyway, he comes back and he was just like, wow, that was so cool to watch as the season progressed, you know, and just knowing, you know, cause what I did, I've done that with the, with the girls team that I coached uh, Adam Johnson volleyball Co- club. I coached one of his, top teams one year and we were running like they were men we, and they didn't like it at first but then no. at the end of the season they loved it. no it must have been a trip for them <laughs> oh, yeah because they've never you know so it was right when hugh took the job at, at minnesota so i reached out to him and i said hey man i haven't really coached a good girls team what do you what's your give me um give me some advice what do you think i should do and he goes nothing you tra- you train them just like you would do the boys that's and I it. said, really? I go, everything? He goes, three-step blocking oh. moves, jump serving. It's Texas. You know, you might not have got girls that can jump serve, but they'll love trying. It's Texas. So That's the, a bunch of dudes with yeah. long hair, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, they, so, it was, the so the first are... three weeks, they were really uncomfortable. And then it was like, okay, we can do this. So we were like running 31s, back row bigs. You know, it was, it was really fun. That was one of the funner seasons I had coaching because those girls bought in and they became, they, we did really well. I don't know what we, we finished uh, in the gold at nationals. We did okay, but 
you know, they, they got a lot better. Actually, let's take a look at Kaler for a sec. Yeah. <laughs> let's skip this part. Jesus. Man, you're right. He does get up. Nice. Look at the look at the footwork too. The pivot foot that allows that, I mean, he, he that has, cross body. He has great he has so he's setting here for his club team. Uh -huh. He set and ran a six two. Um uh, there's got I wonder if there's any from him this year. I don't have anything on me. I wonder if he's got anything uploaded from this year on UJ, but he he's a great player and he's even jumping four or five inches higher now. He yeah, goes home and they have literally a mini camp at their house. It's a volleyball family that you would love. It's just like they got a servant. They got all. They got a hundred volleyballs in their house in Montana. They've got grass courts set up in the back. They've got weights. It's uh. It's We're visiting, cool. dude. <laughs> Field trip. Yeah. yeah. Hey, dude, listen. They, they, they listen, but we. People. They're like, we gotta, over. But we got to settle up on that five eleven thing <laughs> that, yeah. that he gave you. <laughs> you know what yeah. I learned? Uh, there was a dating site called OKCupid, right? And um, okay. they got rid of the forums. The forums are like dating advice, sexuality, yeah. you know, talking about sex. This is politics. This is general. So date um, some a bunch of women had um someone started a thread what's your your most unfavorite lie about a men's profile right and there was an overwhelming response of lying about their height and one I, woman said look <laughs> one woman said look anyone that says they're 5'11 they're 5'9 she says because if they were really 5'11 they would just say six, six, feet. six feet and i yeah. was like <laughs> Holy shit. That was yeah. okay. And yeah. they were like, Jay, come on, you're awfully quiet over there. What's one thing you hate about like a woman's profile? I'm like, the MySpace angle. The camera pointed <laughs> all up there, making you look as skinny as you are. And then when I see yeah. you in real life, you fat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, if you got some meat on your bones, I'm okay with that too. But I think there has to be just like the height thing, there has to be You gotta be up front of, with it. Yeah. You gotta be some, up front. You get some more activity if you were yeah. you know, if you know I mean, man, it makes you want to like report someone for lying about that height too. I mean I, I sided with the women on that. But well, look, it's interesting. My so ahead. my third third year of my first good contract when I go to Greece, I get I'm I'm supposed to go back to Italy the contract has fallen through so I'm about a month out with not really a job but I know something's going to come up because I'm playing pretty well um, and this Greek agent calls me and he says hey we have a great contract at Palk but you need to be two meters tall and I said okay yeah I'm, I'm six six you know that's almost two meters he goes six six you're six six I said yeah I'm six six and so he we signed the contract. Uh, we get, we, we, you know, I don't see them. They don't see me play all summer. Cause I don't think we traveled that year with the national team. We didn't have a world league or something funky. I get there. The first thing he says to me is he's what, you know, this is back when you could walk up to the gate and greet the, your passengers. He comes up and he's looking at my, my wife comes off first. Then I come off. He doesn't say welcome. He doesn't say, Hey, good to see you. He goes, you're not six, six. <laughs> That's the first thing he said to me. <laughs> And I really am with shoes, 6'3", uh, you know, 6'3 and a quarter, you know. Yeah. And um, I said, man, I'll play like I'm 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. And we ended up finishing second in that league. And it, it was all okay, but literally he was pissed for about the first hour of our drive to the house. And he was like, you lied to me. Like, wasn't a lie. He said, you know, it, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I said, you, you, already, said you almost, already gave me my you, signing bonus. Yeah, no, you said I'm almost three meters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. That's cool. Oh, yeah. man. So, listen, let's – um. Before we wrap up here, you man, you have to be starved because um, you you did practice and you did this. You go, you I mean, yeah. your body's probably like, hey, uh, um, 
<laughs> is there a particular site or like someone wants to know more about you, what you've been up to and this and that? Do you have um, or an Instagram handle and this and that? Or, uh, I have Instagram at Riley, Riley.Salman. That's it. I think that I don't even know if that's my Instagram handle, but I don't do Facebook. Um, I do a Twitter uh, for elite. Uh, I'm sorry. It's elite volleyball services. That's what it is. Elite okay. volleyball services mm -hmm. on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but I, I try to, I need to be better at updating it, um, but I don't do Facebook. It's one of the amends that I had to make to the wife is not do that. they can that also reach out to your Jamestown, right? Like you yep, have, you yep, have an email, you have we a have business all that email stuff, for that, uh, too. that All of that is on uh, Twitter, and we have a guy that handles that as well. So if someone reaches out to me mm -hmm. and they see that it needs to be directed to me, they get in touch with me immediately. Yeah. Riley, so congratulations on your season with Jamestown. I know you had a pretty good, you were like 21 and three or something like that. And I know yeah. losing the park, some of them guys kind of got like a, a little too, and that was, not, I mean, it's not, not the best feeling in the world for, for, for someone in which winning is not enough. They have to be idiots about it too. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't fully blame you for being upset. I just don't, I don't well, I'd like, like to, I want I don't to clarify like that, that a little bit. So please. So what was happening is these guys were speaking Portuguese and talking trash in Portuguese to our guys, which mm -hmm. they don't understand, but I do. Right. You know, so then they're beating us down and hey, they talk all you want. That's fine. But when it starts to get a little bit personal and they start saying some things that are, you know, I it was too it went too far. No, you know, and I just there's simply rules to addressed the bro code. it. There's rules to bro code. It, yeah. And I went and you know the, the officials have no idea what's being said. They have none. You know, so they're not gonna say anything. And I actually thought the match was over. I was one point too early. So oh. when I charged and started telling them to like F off I was, I looked and I was like, oh, wow, we're not done yet. So then red card and boom, you're done. And, you know, it, it, I'll always defend my team, always, no matter what, no matter the cost. Um, it was definitely inappropriate. And what I told my president, it would never happen again. Of you know, course. obviously doing that to young men is unacceptable. Saw yeah. the guy, I saw the player that, that, that I was specifically talking to in the hotel afterwards and we made it right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he came up and apologized to me first. And I said, hey, man, I apologize. I'm way too old to be doing that stuff. Of course. And, but for the and kids, it, you know, they got to stop over. acting like they're about that life too, right? So, I mean, yeah, someday yeah, right. they'll go to nationals. <laughs> like I, I set for a team called Balmeso, right? I didn't yeah. go to nationals with them because they wanted me to pay my own way. But but those those kind of guys, like, like just to stare down, if you stare at them, where they're from, that means you're fighting. <laughs> That means you're right. th we yeah. throwing hands. Yeah, so right. you know, and and I and I and I warn these kids at the club level. They shake my hand, the coach's yeah. hand, and they're staring down a coach. And I'm like, the first thing I do is I look to see where their parents are. Then I look to yeah. see what the, what the coach says. And then yeah. if no one says anything, then after everybody settles down and thinks it's okay, that's when I come. And I'm like, bring it yeah. in, guys. You know, the other yeah. team. You know, be careful. You could. I mean, I know because yeah, South, South Bay. I call it the South Bay stare. <laughs> where you kind of block someone and you and you and you're looking at they're looking at you like they're gonna do shit but you, yeah. you know but, and, but where where i'm from look i'm not saying i'm about that life i'm I, yeah. but but where i grew up i know there are people who, i know but i know right I, no but you know who is and who isn't like i kept yeah. my behind on the block but flatbush avenue brooklyn new york you 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 know you know who is and who isn't and where yeah. i'm from forget about the dominican guys if someone stares at you like that where it means we're, fi we're we're fighting. So it's okay. So it's okay for these Brazilian guys to do that, but it's okay for these South Bay guys to do that. But I'm like, dude, just careful when you go to nationals yeah. and you play well, a team. You, know, you play a team from the Bronx. For every action you play a team we from the do, Bronx. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, every every action we do, there's a there's a there's a the reaction or a consequence, right? You know, 
And that, when I sat down with my athletic director afterwards, you know, he's like, Hey, what happened? You know? And I said, Hey, this is exactly what happened. You know, they were, they were saying some things that were absolutely unacceptable. I shouldn't have handled it that way. However, I did. And again, I'll defend my guys all the time. Good. Um, But like you said, I I have no problem doing things like that. When I was a player, I was always a little bit, I'm not going to fight you, but if you want to, I'm sure I I could get myself up for it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, me neither. I'm not into yeah. that. Look, yeah. I have a Brooklyn virtue. Like if someone yeah. steps up to me in my mind, I, I, I think that if I let him get away with that, he thinks he can do it anytime he wants. So that's yeah. well, that's yeah. my fucked up mentality. Right. So no. that, but that's why I'm like, OK, congratulations. Boom. You know, let's let's yeah. move on with life. But I'm glad you stuck up for you guys. I mean, look, I sh- I'm not going to say anything on camera that your president might regret. All right. So I'm going <laughs> to leave a lot of this alone. But I do think yeah. there's a part of me that believes that if you brought it to the referees first, they probably wouldn't have done shit. So I mean, and that's a, yeah, so there was sure. a there was a super necessary route that that yeah. came from emotion. But for me, because my degrees in theater performance, I probably would have performed it, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. it was. Uh... It was really interesting because, like I said, I thought the match was over. That's yeah. what I was like. You know what I mean? That yeah. was like that oh. was the bigger mistake because it probably wouldn't even know. Even the tyrant would have went unnoticed if there wouldn't have been a red card. Yep. You know, it'd been like, okay, we got a little heated and then walk off. And what I told my guys afterwards in the locker room, you know, I said, guys, you can't let people treat you like that. And the way you do that is you shove the ball down their throat. You know, you stop them. You have to stop them. You know, you guys were going back and forth. You know, you were saying we were saying things, you know, it was it wasn't just one way. You know what I mean? They didn't just all of a sudden. But to do it, but to do it when you think the match is already over. (laughs) I mean, if there's anything you should you you probably feel embarrassed about. It's like absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, what a rookie, you know. But uh I played My a, guys know that. They know that I am for them. You know, before and, and we, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Before we go, I played a New York Urban match. It's like this league in New York, you know, they have different yeah. competitive divisions. And in my mind, we always think the deciding game is, is 15, right? But because it's two out of three, all three sets are 25. So okay. I took a ball on first as a setter, you know. And they were these dudes were trying to haze me all night because they thought that if they got me to talk back, and my team wouldn't have my back. Like, it's, yeah. it's, so it's not about what I talk back. It's about where you're, where you're, where you're outside here to get aced after that yeah. altercation and yeah, right, sure, yeah, you know. Yeah. But so I kept quiet the whole match because I didn't have a team that I think that that would do that. But game point, I take a ball, I peel on on a cross court, and I take it with my hands, and my middle sets me, nectar hands, because I said set me, and they go, oh, oh, <laughs> they go, oh, oh, set him. So I went yeah. cross, cross whoom off his elbow and i said out go home and i went under the net you know to, to like shake hands or just walk and when i went under the net everybody looked at me and i said oh shit i went back to my side and then the middle got so mad at me he came under the net. i turned around and i was like this and i and i i, I, got, I had to get my nerve together i said i will yeah. drop your you know because that's how you point at middles i will drop your and then i put it on youtube but i cut the part off like the altercation <laughs> i just i just did the out go home thing and then yeah. someone posted jay why don't you put why don't you post that, what happened after? I said, I can't. that's awesome i can't yeah. everyone thinks the game's a 15 that's so yeah. that part of the youtube video you know i hid but that was a cool story about that no, that's I, great I yeah, we, we learned though we learned we it's learned so embarrassing because i thought it was over <laughs> i thought it was over so i know how you feel yeah. <laughs> cool. all right guys riley salmon might love you guys but i had enough of you okay in fact we're out of here so for all of you at home 
We're going to hit my music in a minute. For all of you at home, for all of you on your iPads, for all of you on your iPhones, for all of you on your Droid, for all of you on your desktop, who rules the world? Old school, old school. For Riley Salmon, this is episode 93. I'm Jason DeBiss. This is the Option Podcast. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.